Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert, experts on expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Tiny Torso. <laughs> <laughs> Self, self-proclaimed Tiny Torso. Sure. I did not. No, the eyes. Uh, you have a very long torso. I don't. I don't. It's estimation. objectively teeny no, tiny. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's one inch. It's, it's long as a uh, long as a summer night in <laughs> in uh, in Anchorage, Alaska. Wow. Yeah. Today we host. Dr. Chris Palmer, who is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and the director of the Department of Postgraduate and Continuing Education at McLean Hospital. Dr. Palmer has an incredible book that we talk about at length. We even diagnose Monica in this. Well, we don't diagnose, but, but we, we thought maybe I should start treat. a new career path. Yeah. Treatment. Treatment. Yes. Treatment. He's got an incredible new book. It's called Brain Energy. A Revolutionary Breakthrough in Understanding Mental Health and Improving Treatment for Anxiety, Depression, OCD, PTSD, and more. Um, this is a very fun, paradigm-challenging look at psychiatry. Yes. I really enjoyed it. And yeah. Chris was a sweetheart. Very, and told a very personal story. Yeah, beautiful vulnerable yeah. nice story yeah. i really liked him yeah. yeah that was a fun episode all right well buckle your tiny torso up it's time for dr chris palmer <laughs> we are supported by uber eats spring is here and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with uber eats what do we mean by almost well you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered but you can get chicken parmesan delivered a cabana that's a no but a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, no. A box of fine wines, yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. He's an How are you? I'm well. That's nice great to, to meet, meet you. you. Welcome. You're visiting from Massachusetts? From Boston, yeah. And where are you staying? Downtown, the Marriott. Oh, wonderful. It's good, not too far. Do you, you get to pick where you stay? Yeah. I mean, presumably. Yeah. Why downtown? Tell me about that. Well, I've been rotating. So I stayed in Beverly Hills the first time. Okay. And that was not fun. Too because it too was boring or well, at least where I stayed, it was strip malls every it. strip malls everywhere. Yeah. Okay. And there were no really good restaurants. And then I stayed at the W. That's a little grimy over there, yeah. You it was yeah, no, it was. <laughs> but I was like, 
Where's the nice section of LA? Okay, well, we're going to be your guide right now. This, where we're at, Los Feliz, all the amazing restaurants are just like three blocks that way. Really? They just built this little boutique hotel. Mm -hmm. They didn't even build it. They retrofitted this cruising hotel to now a beautiful boutique hotel with an incredible restaurant in it. Cara, think about that. Nice. Where are you eating downtown? Because we got to make sure you're stopping at the mm, right spot. I don't know. Okay, well, tonight. There's a lot of good places downtown. Incredible. We'll have to get you a list. Well, first, what's the one at 7th and Grand I love so oh. much? Bodega Louie. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yes, very, very wonderful. Good. Yeah. Good to know. It's Here. good. It's really good. <laughs> no, it's great. It's really great. But there are other <laughs> new ones. But she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> there are some newer ones that are really good. Even well, better. Orium, where did we eat? Yeah, what's that one called? Uh, Otium. Otium. Okay, OTM. So have you seen the Disney Music Hall? It's close to where you're staying. Mm -mm. Worth the trip, Disney yep. Music Hall, cool. Frank Gehry Building, incredible swirls of stainless steel, beautiful. It looks like that famous building in Bao Bao, Bao Bao, 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 in Spain. I went there. Flower puppy. I know. On your eating <laughs> tour of Spain. Right next to Disney Music Hall are like four kind of Michelin star style, incredible restaurants. Cool. Okay. You don't seem as scared for yourself as I am for you. <laughs> I want you to optimize this trip. How many more days do you have? I'm actually here till Sunday because I'm going to go to a wedding on Saturday out in Upland. Where the fuck is Upland? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to have I'm going to have the Uber driver take me there. Ooh. Okay. Wow, you're going to Uber it. This could be like gonna 7 800 dollars if we no, don't know no. where Upland is. No, I checked it. It's kind of far out. It's an eastern suburb it looks like, but it was like $60 for an Uber. Oh, so that's, that's nothing. Easy I know. Peasy. Chris, I took an Uber last night and I don't ever take Uber. A professor at UCLA I went to school with. We were both fall down drunks at UCLA. It's incredible. He's now a professor there, archaeologist. Haven't seen each other in decades. He's like, let's go to the Lakers game. Great, come over. Great, let's take my old truck. That'll be fun. Yes, halfway there. No, no. Yeah, truck dies. Oh. You know, and you got a hard start. They're not going to oh. delay the Lakers game for us. Oh, God. So then we hoofed it like a half mile to an auto zone. I got a new battery. Then we Ubered back because we were on the clock. Oh, this is stressful. I had to buy a wrench there too, put the new battery in. We made it in time for tip-off. Wow. I Ubered back to the truck. The car, yeah, okay. Fixed wow. the truck and wow. then got onward. That's resourceful. It well, is. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's his bread and butter. I know, I know. <laughs> but at some point you would think like you would graduate beyond broken down cars. I know, right? Because yeah. you're heading to a Lakers game. Yeah, you would think. And what's your like knee-jerk reaction to that? I guess maybe other people in my financial position would have just abandoned the car, took an Uber to the Lakers game, and had some flatbed come deal with it. Yeah. I wouldn't like myself if I did that. I wouldn't like myself either. <laughs> you want to hear something really fucked up? Yes, of course. So I'm from the Midwest as well. Where? Fort Wayne, Indiana, not too far from Detroit. So I grow up in the Midwest. It's all about exactly what you're saying, resourcefulness. Yeah. Don't pay somebody to do something that you can do yourself. It's almost mm -hmm. sinful. Like it is sinful. Weakness and vulnerability <laughs> and like, are you incompetent? Yeah. What's wrong Cowardice. with you? And so I'm pretty <laughs> handy around the house. Okay. I've done numerous projects over the years, but a few years ago I had a little bit of a run-in and now I have two short oh fingers. <laughs> Holy smokes, Chris, let me what get happened? on that. Yes. Two short fingers. You didn't say how it happened. No. I'd like us to guess. Oh. oh, okay, go ahead and guess. Oh, fuck. 
I think some sort of saw. Well, it's clear. <laughs> what? No. That's a good guess. Yeah. It was it. not a drill or a hammer. No. You know what else it could have been? Your hand got stuck in the garage door. Well, so I'd love to see options. how that. I need an illustration. <laughs> that happened to my dad. He did it as all fingers. He no. didn't. He no, didn't. But I if he had see. let it stay in there for a bit, they would have been. Yeah, that, that could happen. Yeah. Okay, so really the question for me is is what kind of saw? That's what we're really getting at. And yeah. what he was sawing. Table I'm going to go table saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're feeding the board through. Yeah. Oh. And it caught you. No. And it what? caught me. Chris, Chris. This is. <laughs> So awful. Did you have shop in Fort Wayne in high school? Like, did you have to no. take shop? You didn't. Okay. No, I'm just a do-it-yourselfer. Okay. Clearly, that paid off well for me. Yeah, <laughs> you did it. You did it yourself. What is that? I did it myself. I had that table saw for 20 years. In fairness, okay. So it's not like it was a first-time rookie mistake. Yeah. It was just kind of a fucked-up accident. Did it kick back on you? It was with absent-mindedness. We need to know. Kicked back, and my hand flew, and <gasps> uh, it was immediate. Oh my god. What was your reaction was yes. it calm or hysteria or some mix you know at first i didn't know what happened because you can't feel it right it was immediate i didn't feel too much i knew something happened and then i looked down at the floor and it was like the gory scene from a horror movie yes. and i see the bloody finger like lying on the floor no. and i was just like and I'm, I'm home alone oh, oh jesus no. home alone i look down blood everywhere i'm like shit I'm going to lose a lot of blood maybe and pass out down here. And like, yeah. like who knows what's going to happen. Right. Now you're gonna, in a basement? So I'm in a basement. Okay. So I'm like, oh. okay, okay, just like hold it. Call 911. That's yes. what I need to do. Call 911. <laughs> I've got her on the phone. Ambulance is on the way. She's like, go ahead and, you know, see if you can retrieve the finger and put it on ice. She said, look at your hand. How many fingers are missing? Oh. I thought it was just one. I finally get the courage to open up my hand and look. And I'm like... It's two. Uh -huh. <laughs> now I got another finger to find. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, this is horrifying. This is also a scene from Chips. <laughs> a finger? I don't remember. I urge you to watch this movie, because Chips. I've seen I made. it 400 times. Pena gets his three fingers blown off. And he wants them. It's in the middle of a battle scene. Oh, he's like, yes. oh my, I need my fingers. And I'm like, okay. And I, I'm running out into gunfire and I get two of them. And I come back and he's like, there's only two. I'm like, fuck him, you're going to have to make do. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, this makes me feel like such a baby because a couple months ago I got a cut and I <laughs> I was freaking out. I thought oh I was going to bleed out. Poor thing. I know, I was chopping an onion. Same situation, done it a million times, but sure. got out from under me. Mistakes happen. Oh, yeah, I'm if so I were sorry you, I guess I would immediately think, oh, I got to put these things on ice. We all mm -hmm. heard that. The other thing I'd be thinking is maybe first I try to do a tourniquet on my finger. I didn't have to do that. I ended up getting a towel and just wrapping it. Okay. Kind of putting as pressure. much pressure as I could. Yeah. Did it send you into retirement for using that? <laughs> table saw or are you back on the horse yeah no well i got back on the horse and finishing the project wow good for you i was wow. like there's no fucking way i am going to let this defeat me wow. were you putting molding in or something what were you doing i was putting in molding in the bathroom you knew that how'd you know i'm yeah. always trying to impress you it's so hard <laughs> that's what i was doing i guess table saw and i guess molding yeah you're good <gasps>
You are good. This is why I come to the experts. I miss. <laughs> I've spent all this energy. I really should have been a guy at a circus trying to guess things. I yeah. think that's what I really wanted to be. Can you guess some lottery numbers for me, please? I'm not great with that. I more can guess like what kind of car someone drives pretty good. Ooh, I can why guess. don't you guess? Well, first of all, do you own a car? Because I do own a car. You do own a car. Okay. And then I got to ask. Are you driving a car you want to drive? Because that's important. Are you driving a car that you feel like you got the car you loved? Or is it just utilitarian, you wanted to get from point A to point B? Can you see how that matters? I can see how it matters. And I'm hesitating because it's a little bit of a combination of both. Okay. If I tell you it's my dream car, you're going to think I'm a loser. No. <laughs> so, no. No, no, no judgment no, in this. No. So it's not just me. So I have a son. So when I purchased the car, I had to think of that. Him borrowing it or just him wanting no, to think that's having cool? having an infant in the back, back seat. seat. And probably So safety. I've got to think safety. I've got to think all of those types of things. Wow. Okay. That really complicates it. I guess I'm going to go Tesla. No. Yeah. Okay. What is no, it? No. It's a 2007 Lexus ES350. Great The car. SUV or the four-door sedan? Just the four-door sedan. Okay. Yeah, that would have been hard for me to really? guess. Yeah, good for you. That makes you a unicorn. Okay, it so you're does. two for out of three today. Yeah. It was between that or the BMW 5 Series. Uh, but ooh. the BMW 5 Series was like sold out and it was going to be months before I could get it. And so I ended up just... Breaking down and saying, I'm just going to go with And Alexis. did you say it was a 13, 2013? No, 2007. I'm from the Midwest. We right. drive cars into the ground. So you're going on year 16 with this vehicle. Yeah. Which is nothing for Alexis. It's in great shape. People ask me, like, why aren't you getting a new car? You can afford a new car. What's right. wrong with you? And mm -hmm. I'm like, but this is a perfectly good, <laughs> healthy car. Yeah. It doesn't give me any problems. Why would I do that? So there's a utilitarian part of me of just like, it's just here to get me from point A to point B. Right. Wait, I have one more question about the finger. Now, did you think you were gonna maybe die? <laughs> so when I was in the basement yeah. and I saw the bloody finger on the ground, yeah. I did think I could bleed out and potentially pass out. And then if it just bleeds yeah, forever. I guess I could. I don't know how bad this is. And I'm alone, so nobody's going to find me. So I rushed to call 911. Mm -hmm. And then before I even did that, I went and opened the front door wide. Because I was like, if I pass out, smart. if I pass out, I just want them to come in. Right. Like, I, I don't smart. need them banging on the door thinking they're at the wrong address <laughs> and then leaving. Yeah. That's very wise. Oh, no one's here. He's not here anymore. <laughs> he left. What if they came in and you already had yourself on a stretcher, like ready to... <laughs> <laughs> Are you insecure about the hand now? Oh, my God. I've got so many other insecurities. Okay. <laughs> that one's low on the totem pole. I mean, I was having so much phantom finger pain. It was actually quite excruciating and was not going away. And there was a period of time where I actually thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back to work like this. And somebody made the flippant remark, oh, well, it's good you're not a surgeon. Like, you can work. You're just a psychiatrist. And I'm thinking, but I can't listen to people for even 10 minutes when I feel like my fingers are burning off uh -huh. oh and God. in excruciating pain. I was taking some medications that sure. were numbing the pain, but I of course they're well. numbing my cognition at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So there was a short period of time where I was like really worried, what does this mean for my future? How long did that last? Several months. It's close to all the way better now. Okay, and how long ago was it? I think 2018. Okay, so pretty recent. Yeah. Okay. What was a cautionary tale about table saws? You can never be too safe 
and even when you think you're a pro at it, <laughs> yeah, there's always the opportunity to have those fingers got up. Okay, so Fort Wayne, Indiana, a lot of Amish experiences growing up? Actually, yeah. Yeah. So my father was a pharmacist. He owned a pharmacy up in Grable, Indiana, which is one of the suburbs. And it is a huge Amish community. Horses and buggies everywhere. Yeah. The Amish would come into our pharmacy Tracking horse shit all oh. over, <laughs> tracking <laughs> horse shit up and down the aisles. <laughs> so we got to know them well. But they are absolutely wonderful, honest, hardworking people, was my experience. This is kind of an interesting segue for you. Your work, weirdly, we could argue that we may find out in 150 years, we may end up trying to steer ourselves back in that direction a little bit. In some of the principles, we are suffering from our technology, that we are the victims of it, that it's made us lonelier, raised mental health issues. What I think might happen is we may find ourselves willingly and choosing to live a little more Amish, maybe without the deities and the notion of sin. Yeah. I mean, that's a far stretch, but I'm trying to make I this work. I don't think it is a far stretch. <laughs> I don't know that we go back to the Amish value that it's forbidden, but I think we reach a new level of enlightenment that some of our technologies, even some of our medications and therapeutics, although they can reduce symptoms in people, although on the surface they seem like they might be a good thing, maybe they're not. Although a lot of people may think, how dare you say that? You're a Harvard physician, whatever. Just look around the world at the health and wellness of the human population. It is declining rapidly. Mental disorders are the leading cause of disability, both in the United States and worldwide, with the single medical diagnosis of depression topping the list. So depression causes more people to not be able to work or go to school than any other medical illness on the planet. I think to most people that's shocking because we have so many treatments for depression. We've got dozens of antidepressants. We've got psychotherapy. We've got ketamine injections. We've got electroconvulsive therapy and TMS and everything. And a lot of these people are getting those treatments and they're not working. That's the probably concerning thing. I guess we'll do our disclaimer now. You and I have the same opinion. I've heard you make your disclaimer. First of all, I know many, many people whose lives have literally been saved by pharmacological intervention with their mental disorders. I do too. <laughs> and I have provided those pharmacological interventions and I've provided electroconvulsive therapy to people or at least recommended it to people and I've seen it save lives. Can you tell me what electroconvulsive therapy is? That's electroshock. We used to call it shock therapy, yeah. And what happens? The horrible example is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. The modern <laughs> example is that you go down to a surgical suite, you get anesthesia, you're on a gurney. Once you're out, they actually paralyze your body at the same time. And once you're out, essentially the two paddles that they use to shock a heart, they take those paddles and put them on your brain. Wow. They do. So in the heart, it makes sense. The heart is this electrical apparatus and often the signals are firing erratically and this great shock can get them to all of a sudden coordinate again in the yes. heart, right? Yeah. That's exactly the theory behind the brain. So there's all this electricity in there and somehow it's firing abnormally or i offer some new explanations for how to understand it but right now the current paradigm is nobody knows how it works it's been around for a century nobody knows how or why it works when it 
was first used, it really was used to suppress wild, crazy, dangerous people. And there's a huge anti-ECT movement and groups of people who feel that it has not evolved at all. But since then, we've got tons of randomized controlled trials showing that ECT can, in fact, make people less depressed, make people less suicidal, have anti-manic properties, have antipsychotic properties. Do you know offhand or ballpark what percentage of people who undergo this treatment have, let's say, long-term success? It is not a long-term success treatment. It is a short-term intervention that takes a couple of months, usually. You usually get three treatments a week if you're being really aggressive. And a lot of people end up needing anywhere from 12 to 25 treatments. There's a lot of memory impairment for people, a lot of side effects. Also seems very, very fertile for placebo effect. I mean, you've made the ultimate commitment to your belief in this system. I mean, you're going to get knocked out and shocked. You would think, but the placebo effect on psychotic symptoms, for instance, is very, very low. Interesting. Psychosis, you know, you can get a very transient placebo effect for a day or two where somebody might say, I'm hearing fewer voices or something. What's under the psychosis umbrella? Most people think schizophrenia. So psychosis Uh is hallucinations and delusions. Okay, great. So you're hearing things, you're seeing things that aren't there, you're believing things. You cut your finger, you think you're dying. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. How dare you? You think you know how to work a table saw. (laughs) You think you can guess people's cars. You've got grandiose delusions about being a carpenter. Like, come on, come on, fuck do you think you are? Calm down. Calm down, Chris Palmer. So that's what psychosis is. It can actually occur under a wide variety of diagnostic categories. Schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major depression. About 10% of people with major depression have psychotic features. 40 to 50% of people with Alzheimer's disease will have psychosis. A lot of people with Parkinson's disease will have psychosis. Is it Predominantly auditory? It is predominantly auditory. And usually when we see people with visual hallucinations, everybody starts saying, oh, this must be delirium or more likely to be delirium as opposed to schizophrenia, as though schizophrenia is like a legitimate thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, So it gets really messed up and convoluted. And we will have to dedicate a few minutes to the DSM and diagnosing these illnesses and how arbitrary they may or may not be, those diagnoses. But to the electric shock thing, so in the randomized clinical trials, obviously, they're not shocking some people they put out. They have done those where they do give people anesthesia, Mm -hmm. no shocks, and those people do not have the same response. Okay. Is it like 30% of people that no, respond to over, it? No, over it? 70%. No shit. Believe it or not, ECT is probably the most effective treatment we have for severe depression. Isn't that wow. wild? It comes with huge side effect burdens and some risks and costs and everything else, so we would never use it as first-line treatment. That's shocking. Pun intended. Wow. True. It is shocking. Yeah, but it is shocking. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, because <laughs> our colloquial relationship with it or our feelings about it or is it it's medieval it's like leeches. because i think we think also people did it to change culture kind of sure societal and, and some of that sort of stuff still happens like russia is 
kind of unfortunately notorious for using psychiatry to torture anybody who's a dissident on any yeah. issue. Okay. And so they say, well, you've got some crazy political ideas or you've got some crazy sexual ideas. We're going to put you in a psych institution. You're clearly crazy. We're going to dope you up with antipsychotics and or ECT and or whatever. You're going to be so horny for women when this treatment's <laughs> over. You just yes, wait. wait. <laughs> you just wait. How severe does it need to be for you to diagnose that? Because I have someone in my life who... You can say my name. No. <laughs> who has been diagnosed. This was maybe 15 years ago at this point. She was in a psychotic, depressive state. She was hearing voices and suicide attempt and all of that. It was so crazy to see someone who you know then endure a psychosis. But I feel like if someone had said... Let's try this. We would have been like, absolutely not. And that's pretty much the worst that can happen is trying to kill yourself. Than yeah, what side voices. effects would be worse? Yeah. yeah. But also now she's fine. It's great. Chris, if you're comfortable, Chris, more than anyone firsthand, had a mother who was high functioning and then at 42 made a turn yeah. that was pretty severe. Yeah. You want to hear that story? It's up to you. This I is a very will, vulnerable I place. Share, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the show, no, but I have heard the show. Okay, okay. And I am so excited because I get my free therapy session oh. <laughs> from Great. the experts. And I see that you two have A-list clients. I've seen some of the people you've, you've seen some of the work we've done. And I am like, how the fuck did I get on this show? Oh my God. There's like like somebody named Chris Palmer who's an NBA player. And I'm like, did they think I was him? <laughs> They're like, who are you? How did you get in here? Chris, we no. knew who you were, but I have to tell you one time I thought I was interviewing the actor Brian Cox. Do you watch Succession? No. Okay, Brian Cox, famous older English actor. He's on that show. His catchphrase on the show Succession on HBO is he's always saying to people, fuck off, if he wants them out of there. So I see on the calendar we got Brian Cox is coming, you know, I, and I make a few jokes to these guys over the, the week. I'm like, oh, God, I got to get this guy to say fuck off. We got to give him a couple fuck offs. Then I start saying, like, God, I hope those stairs aren't going to be an issue, whatever. I've done all the research on the actor Brian Cox, and we're having lunch like 40 minutes before Brian Cox arrives, and I do the fuck off thing. <laughs> what are you Why talking are you doing about? that? And he goes, on succession, he's no, the physicist Brian Cox, also very famous. <laughs> so it has happened. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta learn everything about physics in 45 minutes. That's great. So back to my mom. I mean, the book is dedicated to her. There's no way someone's reading your book and not knowing this history. If not in detail, they're knowing it's an apology to her that she didn't live long enough for you to help her. Yeah. I made the decision a long time ago when I started writing the book that I did not want to share my personal story and I did not want to share any of my family's story because I wanted this to be a professional book based on science. And I felt like if I start getting too personal, it's going to taint it somehow. And or they're all going to think I'm crazy. If I share my own psych history, right. if I share my mother's psychotic history and I'm presenting this ridiculously bold disruptive new theory of mental illness, I'm like, they're going to just think I'm having a psychotic break just like she did. Right. I can't put that in. And then when it came time to do the dedication, people have asked me a million times, like, why are you a psychiatrist? And I've had my own shit, years of it. But the real reason I'm a psychiatrist is because of my mom. And that's not a blame thing. It's a, I desperately wanted to save her. 
So the kind of sort of quick version is that she was ridiculously smart, hardworking. She actually grew up in a family with tons of abuse, but they were extraordinarily wealthy. Mm. They actually lived in the old governor's mansion in Indiana. Wow. And had servants. But she actually grew up feeling like they were white trash. There was all sorts of domestic abuse and alcoholism and everything else going on in the house. And so from that, she actually made the decision, I hate money, I hate status, I hate all of it. I just want a normal middle-class life. And she was devoutly Catholic. She wanted big family, four kids. She and my dad ended up with eight kids. Wow. Can I ask really quickly where you're at in that show? I'm the third oldest. I'm the oldest boy. And that's what she wanted. And then... My father decided to start a pharmacy on his own up in Grable, Indiana with the Amish, and he needed help, so she helped him. And so they both worked like 12-hour days, six days a week. She was usually taking the youngest kid with her to work. But that's the life she wanted. And then around the time that she was 41, 42, all sorts of wild shit happened. Was there an inciting incident to this? Yes. There was. Not with her, but with other people from her family. She did nothing wrong. She wasn't involved in any of the shit that went down. I would tell you more details, but these people are still alive. And it would actually kind of ruin their lives if I were to make that public. She ended up front and center in the whole shit show. She ended up being the key witness. Oh, boy. In what was potentially a life and death trial. Did she have to betray her family in this process? Or did she have to betray herself and support them? That was the dilemma. Do I put someone I know and love possibly sentenced to death? Or do I lie, but I can't lie? I have to swear on the Bible. I am Catholic and Christian, and there's no way in hell I will ever swear on the Bible. It ended up putting tremendous stress on our entire family for lots of reasons, for other people involved. It started what she called a nervous breakdown, which was depression, essentially, and just overwhelm. She started becoming suicidal because she didn't know how to manage this moral dilemma of hers. And she actually felt like the truth needs to be told, and I have to say it. And yet it's going to have dire consequences, and how can I live with myself? Well, look, talk about a biblical dilemma. Thou shalt not kill. Your involvement could result in a death. Yes. That's a pretty big one on the Ten Commandments. It is. (laughs) Right. And I think that's the way she felt. Yeah, it's like, wow, when is it appropriate? And yet she also felt like justice needs to be served, truth needs to be served. She's an honest person. And again, she had nothing to do with it. She just happened to be the key person that got confided in and was told. Dragged in. Dragged in, really against her will. And then our whole family was dragged in. Very quickly, she developed psychosis, major depression with psychotic features is what we would call it. She became convinced that she was Mary Magdalene reincarnated. Mm. Uh She was going to this priest for counseling. She began to believe that this priest was Jesus Christ reincarnated. I have reason to believe this priest actually probably raped her or molested her or something. Right. right. And that may actually at least serve as some of the theme of that delusion. Yeah. Yeah. This is Jesus. I'm the whore. I'm Mary Magdalene. So she becomes psychotic. She becomes convinced that my father is the devil. Oh, no. Literally the devil. That starts a divorce proceeding... 
They go back and forth with custody. How old are you? I mean, at this point, I'm 12, 13, because this is taking place over the course of like a year. It's a really good time for some destabilizing, because junior high is already (laughs) such a... Oh, my God. Oh, if we get into my personal (laughs) shit, it's just like you have no idea how bad that was for me. So they end up getting divorced. Divorce courts basically completely fuck her over. She loses everything because it's quite easy for your father to say she's psychologically unfit in his defense if my current wife thought she were mary magdalene i don't really want my kids with her no and my mom did some erratic stuff she actually took the three youngest kids to hawaii an impulsive trip to hawaii nobody else knew i didn't know i was pissed that i didn't get to go yeah, I'm dealing with all the downside. Give me the uh, give me the ramp up part of this. Yeah. Woke up one morning, she's gone. We find out she's in Hawaii with the three kids. So I fully understand why they would not give her custody, but she didn't get any ownership of the pharmacy. She didn't get any alimony. She got poverty level support. Okay, I hate to do this. Is it possible in their minds at that time they were thinking, she actually can't be trusted with any of this? She'll immediately give it to this preacher or she'll go blow it on some crazy trip. She'll buy some car. Kind of the Britney Spears thing, like with the conservatorship. Like it's a very complicated issue to give someone wrestling with that, the means by which to hurt themselves, end up somewhere strange. Do you think that was the prevailing notion or do you think it was just greed? I don't think it was greed. My sense is that they were trying to force her to stay with my father. Oh. Okay. They were trying to make her life so horrible and impoverished that she would not leave him, that somehow that would make her snap out of it and that she would not get divorced. Right. Obviously, that didn't work. She got the van and essentially nothing else for temporary support still because divorce isn't finalized. She's getting like $50 a week. She's staying in a rooming house that costs $55 oh, a week. Geez. So I'm terrified for her and terrified for like what's going to happen to her because she's psychotic, depressed, suicidal. Yeah, I didn't know those terms, but I knew that mom is not okay and yeah. this is unfair and this is unjust. And this and is not going to help the situation. I'd also argue it's the most unfortunate time for this to happen to you because you're kind of on the verge of adulthood. So it's like you might feel like you should become enough to help, but you're just not there either. And then on top of that, my father and I never got along. I hated my father. Hated him. Hated his guts. (laughs) So at some point, I make the decision to go live with her. So we're both staying in this rooming house. The court gives her like an extra $20 a week for support for me. And my room was like $45. We stay in this rooming house until... There's no more money. So we ended up homeless for a while. We were living out of the van. And we ended up in a homeless shelter. It was this Catholic homeless shelter. You left a homeless shelter and went off to your first day of high school. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow, wow, wow. And your brothers and sisters, seven of them, are at a house nearby with dad. Mm -hmm. I think her family helped her. Her father helped her a little bit or something, gave her some money. And then we got some 
tiny apartment by the railroad tracks. I don't think it was the worst time in my life because I wasn't suicidal at that point. And I subsequently developed my own shit and suicidality and everything else. It was pretty close to one of the worst times in my life. And high school, I'm guessing, is not like a refuge from the situation. It's not like you're going off somewhere for seven hours a day and like forgetting your problems. This isn't different problems there. High school was awful. I flunked classes. The fact that I got into Harvard. I know. I'm a Harvard professor. <laughs> yeah. They didn't look at my high school transcript. <laughs> if they did, I probably would not have gotten in. So I ended up with my mom, absolute misery. I remember crying myself to sleep every night. After about like two or three months of that, I actually lost the ability to cry. And that persisted for probably like 20 years. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. It feels like a lot has happened this year. It's barely even summer. We went to India for Bye George. We sure did. Lots to process already. Yeah, but even with so much going on, it's important to slow down. Take a minute to reflect on yourself and make adjustments. And if you need a little help with that, I can't recommend therapy enough. We are both in therapy. We are. We proselytize all the time. Talk about it every day. Couldn't function without it. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire. Plus, you can switch therapists whenever for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dax today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dax. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Sleep is a big deal. If you're not getting your Z's in, then it just makes everything so much more difficult and you feel a long way from the top of your game. So every now and then, not being able to get sleep and stay asleep is so annoying and you think, ah, if only there was something that could help. Well, there's sleep and then there's Natrol sleep. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients like 99% pure melatonin to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol, sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Click, tap, or visit natrol.com to shop now. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. Were you like disassociated a lot during this and living in a fantasy world? Did you create a world in your head of your future that was going to exist? What was the coping mechanism? I guess my fantasy world, so I'll go ahead and, and say it. 
So I'm gay. And my fantasy world was that there's like some man who's going to hold me and protect me and take care of me. Of course. You don't have that with your dad. Yeah. Your dad's, I'm filling in the blanks. He's totally disappointed that yeah. his oldest son, he has some hunch, is not straight. Yeah. And this is completely unacceptable. He's a product of his Fort Wayne life. Yeah, I know. He thinks you're dead. As fucked up and twisted as it is, he might think this is going to kill him. Like, this is the worst thing that could have happened. He's going to be a pariah. He's going to be assaulted. He's all these things. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was just the shame of having it was, a gay son. You are a disgusting, reprehensible, you're yeah, a faggot. Yeah. The worst option. Yeah. All right. Well, I end my defense of him. No, it's, it, well, it's interesting. There's a long story with my dad. In the last three years of his life, I took care of him. There was a part of me that was hoping to reconcile with him. Yeah. Before he died, because mm. I knew he was dying. And I was also trying to rehabilitate him and help him and all sorts of other shit. And I'm really glad I had that experience because the conclusion that I came to is he's just a fucking asshole. Mm. <laughs> that is who he is. Yeah. You must love core. David Sedaris's work. <laughs> yeah, he has a very similar story. Yeah. His dad at least said to him on a deathbed, David, you won. But you didn't get that, right? I really didn't. But you had a similar dynamic because David's now one of the world's most successful authors. Everything his dad thought he should hide, he embraced. And that's why he's the most successful writer. And you end up at Harvard. He lived long enough to see your success. Yeah, I mean, my dad was racist, misogynistic, all of it. Like many men of his generation, I get it. And I don't necessarily blame him for that. I'm not angry at him for that. I know he's the product of his environment. Yeah. But... I was old enough at the time that he was dying to recognize I don't like this product. At his core, these are his values. This is what he firmly believes. And I don't really respect that. I don't yeah. admire it. My mother, on the other hand, even with a psychotic illness, was able to evolve and adapt. She started out very homophobic and eventually got to a place of actually writing a letter to the editor of the Fort Wayne paper defending homosexuality. That, oh, really? Like, yeah. why would God make people this way if he didn't intend for them to act on it? Like, yeah. he's not that cruel. He's not a sadistic God. So my dad was absolutely lovely by comparison. But he left when I was three. He was an addict. It was just a very complicated relationship. And I, too, ended up being the one that cared for him when he died. And I at least did have this moment where he was so vulnerable he was so incapacitated. He was dying of cancer, but he also had, had heart disease and he had gout so bad he couldn't get out of bed. So I was changing his diapers <laughs> and I'm looking at this big baby and I'm like, oh my God, we're all just little scared babies. I put so much on this little scared baby's <laughs> shoulders. Like I got to at least acknowledge I was not looking at him as a human with his own struggles for most of the time, I was looking at what I wanted out of that role that I didn't get. And that for me was some bit of peace and closure. I was like, oh, thank God I saw him as a human once before it was over. I had the exact same experience. You did. I was changing diapers, wiping up shit off the floor, <laughs> all of it. And I saw him for what he was. Just another human being with all his flaws yeah. and with all his strengths. And the biggest strength I'm going to give him is he has eight kids. He's running his own business. His wife becomes psychotic and he took custody of the yeah. eight kids doing his best. It was a shitty job, obviously, because <laughs> yeah. it's an overwhelming job for anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody can take care of eight kids and work full time at a yeah. pharmacy and everything else. But he did his best. 
And for that, I honor him and respect him as an individual human being in terms of his values and how he treats other people and how he thinks about other people. It was repugnant. And even in the end, when I was taking care of him, he would still brag about two of my other brothers and never about me. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. how much do I have to do to please you? I'm a fucking Harvard psychiatrist. I'm wiping up your shit, changing yes. your yeah. diapers, yeah. giving you a home, rehabilitating you, but I'm still not good enough to like at least say a kind word about? Come on. If you're not reading Sedaris, you must yeah. read Sedaris. This is the same story. You have to just laugh about <laughs> it because it's preposterous. It's preposterous, yeah. So she was hospitalized, tried medications. Saw psychiatrists. Lithiums and stuff? What kind of? Oh, antipsychotics, Haldols and shit like that. Trazodone. And she was drugged. She could not walk a straight line. Mm -hmm. She was slurring her speech. She had this ridiculously dry mouth. You could hear it when she just opened her mouth. It's like so dry. Mom, you want a sip of water? She, like her eyelids are drooping and she's still psychotic. And I'm just uh. like, what the fuck are these people doing? You know, at that point I was furious with the mental health field. Just a bunch of incompetent, arrogant assholes is what they were. Did it stay <laughs> that same Mary Magdalene thing or did it morph? It stayed. Wow. I mean, she developed other delusions along the way. She would get paranoid intermittently. And it would wax and wane like it does with everyone. She'd have good days or good months and bad months. She became estranged from most of her family. And she would become estranged from even my siblings. And I think some of it was just their inability to tolerate her symptoms. They would just get so furious with her. Yeah. They wanted a certain mother and they didn't get it. You wanted a certain father, you didn't get it. No one was really hitting the jackpot in this yeah. scenario. Yeah. No. So again, mine's on a two compared to your 10, but similarly, I've always been incredibly close with my mother, three suicide attempts over the course of, I don't know, 20 years. And me very much feeling like if anyone's gonna help in this scenario, it's gonna be me. She'll listen to me the most. I've got to solve this for her. I can relate to the anxiety of that and the powerlessness, yet you're the appointed person. So it's like throwing your hands in the air is not really an option. Yeah. I was actually really religious when I grew up too. You really had it all. And by late <laughs> by late high school, I gave up. I was furious with God because I prayed every day for her. If you exist, you've got to help. Well, you got to start exploring some different options minimally. Like, well, this is not yielding any results. So let's go into psychiatry. Wait, Eventually, how'd you get to, you go to Harvard? UW first? No, so a year after. I was living with my mom. She made me go back and live with my dad. I actually moved out before I finished high school. I moved in with some friends from McDonald's. I was working at McDonald's. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> You're just painting every target on your back possible. I was actually ready to drop out of high school. I went to the guidance counselor and said, I'm here to drop out. Can you give me some information on a GED? Maybe I'll do that someday. She went and got the vice principal and made him come down. And he was like, you are not dropping out. You're going to come see me for counseling. And he was kind of a take charge person. And I was like, well, that's what I'm looking for, a take charge. Like, oh, <laughs> you, you seem to actually care about me. Okay, fine, yeah. I'll listen to you. Yeah. I won't drop out. But I was on my own. And I remember graduating from high school and my two older sisters who were at Purdue came and they asked me, so Chris, what are you going to do? And I said, the people I'm living with told me I have till graduation day to move out. 
So I'm going to get a full-time job at McDonald's and I'm going to get an apartment. I had no college plans. Right. My sisters are like, well, no, don't do that. Why don't you come live with us? It'll be cheaper. We'll get a three-bedroom apartment. So I went and lived with them. Oh, that's nice. I worked like three jobs. I was donating plasma twice a week. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then ended up going to Purdue. The first year or two, horrible shit show, depressed, suicidal, couple of suicide attempts more. I attempted in high school. But then things turned around when I finally came out. I found people like me and I started to accept myself. Because I had to work my ass off to save up money for tuition, I decided if I was going to go to college, I'm going to get straight A's. Why am I wasting all of this effort yeah. and time? So I ended up doing really well at Purdue and then ended up at Wash U Medical School and did really well at Wash U. I got like an award for being one of the top students one year. And then ended up at Harvard. Wow. And I've been there for 27 years. Okay. <laughs> this is actually not the thrust of your theory, but it is worth just pointing out that if you were to have seen a psychiatrist at that period just prior to coming out, I'm your psychiatrist. I'm going to attempt to treat the symptoms of your depression. And really, you got to come out. There's no treatment. That's going to be such an enormous piece of this equation that really a doctor can't do for you, can't prescribe for you. It's imperative and probably going to be the most important aspect in you coming out of this depression. A hundred percent. You know, you come to me, you're on the verge of killing yourself or you're attempted or you have ideation. And I'm going to try to prevent that from happening. Ethically, I think I'm on good ground to do so. And maybe I could treat those symptoms for long enough that you don't come out for some period of time after. And we're not actually treating at all one of the core roots of all these problems. That happened to me. I got the whole spectrum so in high school, I was attempting suicide, severely depressed, could not function, ended up hospitalized at one point, and they did exactly the wrong thing that you just said. They were prescribing me pills. I used the pills that they were prescribing to overdose. So I hated being gay. I was disgusted and repulsed with myself as a human being. And I also was convinced I will never, ever find love because I don't want to be a faggot. I don't want a gay man as a lover. I want a straight man as yeah, a lover. Yeah, if you hate yourself yeah. from it, you're probably homophobic at that point too. You yes, hate other gay men. I do. Right? It's I do. so wild, right? It's They're twisted. disgusting. Yeah. Mental health did nothing for me all through high school. And I saw a few different therapists I tried several different medications. And then by the time college came around, I was still miserable, still very suicidal. At one point, I decided to go to a psychologist at Purdue. Uh -huh. And they give you like three visits. So I go to the psychologist and I actually went in saying, okay, I'm ready to be changed. I cannot tolerate living this way anymore. I don't think I can be changed. It just feels like such a core part of who I am. I can't imagine somebody taking this out of me. But if you think you can take it out of me, then I'm at least willing to hear you out and try. It's crazy how similar that is to addiction as well. For me to at some point go, I'm going to go to this program that I despise, that has God in every third sentence, 
I'm going to take direction from men who I don't trust. I'm going to do all these fucking things that I don't want to do. I reject fundamentally because the alternative appears to be death. <laughs> that was it for me. Yeah. And thank God I got a decent mental health professional who said, that's impossible. No one can change you. You have to accept being gay. And I initially was like, no, no way. All these effeminate men. She then I'll goes on to tell every me, other day. Do Who's you know got the that time? There, <laughs> there are NFL players who are gay. Uh -huh. You yeah. just wouldn't know it. They're yeah. closeted, but you could get somebody like that yeah. if you want a big, strong man. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, really? Is that true? I have to start looking it up. Like, There's no way that can be true. So she encouraged me to go to this gay support group for Catholics. It took me probably four or five months to actually make it to a meeting. I drove by the church where they met numerous times and just could not go in. And I finally went in. And you immediately start hearing your story and you immediately know you're not alone or no? It was weird because so I walk in, there were only like probably eight people there. Most of them are all older than me. Two women are holding hands and being like affectionate with each other, which I had never seen in my life. And I'm so uncomfortable seeing this. I'm like, mm. why are they doing that? That's not appropriate. Like, People can see they're that. They're gonna get beaten up. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they can't do that. They're gonna be on to all of us. Stop. <laughs> You're gonna get in trouble. It's so ridiculous and trivial. But the thing that switched it all is really hot graduate student walked in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, You're gay? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, maybe there's something to this gay community for me after all. Yeah, yeah. I pined over him for like a few months and then he asked me out. He was like the first. Oh, really? that's so exciting. It was, so ex it was oh. exciting. It was on my 21st birthday too. Wow. Oh. I had never gone out That's on a, a happy ending. I was like literally jumping up and down <laughs> just to myself. Enjoy. Things didn't work out with him because he was closeted and homophobic and everything else as well. So many of my male gay friends have told me about the level of homophobia they have. It's like the insult to the injury. It's so sad and so prevalent. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, it plays out in gay hookups and gay dating. Gay men treat each other like shit. Mm. One of our friends in particular who's very, very active on Grinder. he walks us through some of these hookups. And um, I'll just give you the best nutshell one. He said, they'll come in, I'll offer them a water. So it'll be kiss, kiss, kiss. I will immediately look at their dick. And if it's not what was advertised, I'll come up and I'll say, oh, we're not a match. And the guy will go, okay, and turn around and leave. And I said, let me welcome you to the straight world. If I ever took a glance at a gal's vagina, came up and said, we're not a match. The notion that that's cool and the person just turns and walks away as if nothing happened, I'm like, that's so foreign to me. One could never be that insensitive in the straight world. And the reality is gay men come into that world sensitive. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And they are devastated and it happens over and over and over again. And then they just decide, I guess this is who I have to be. Again, then just supports the internalized homophobia. You know, we're supposed to have progressed. Mm. Gay rights, gay marriage, everything. And yet there's still all of that well, kind of awful behavior. When you look at the suicide attempt rates in LGBTQ youth today, 30% will at least attempt. Oh. Really? In the trans community, it's at least 50% attempt yeah. rates. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
but that's with our children's kind of yeah. environment and yeah. everything's of supposed to be good now. Gay straight alliances, teachers yeah. teaching the politically correct stuff, and the kids are still attempting suicide. There's still a disconnect. Okay. I appreciate that so much. I know we're here to talk about your book and we're going to, but I got to say that to me was, I'm going to guess as helpful as anything could possibly be to hear your story through that and unexpected. So I appreciate it. Sure. Let's talk really quick about what the current paradigm is. I'll give you a different example. That's not psychiatry, but Siddhartha Mukherjee, he's written this book, The Cell. It's a great book. He talks about the old paradigm of how we do medicine, which is find pathogen kill pathogen with pill that's the model period that's what we've been doing for 100 years and he is suggesting we flip this whole thing and we look at the health of the cell and whatnot so similarly there's a paradigm for psychiatry that i don't know how many years we would delineate it's been going on but let's just say 40 years we've got a pretty sophisticated bag of pharmacological options right so generally someone's experiencing some kind of mental health issue and then they go to a psychiatrist and then what happens next so the generic first step is the psychiatrist or clinician is going to do a diagnostic interview at the end of that interview maybe a second one if needed but in the insurance-based model you get one diagnostic interview at the end of that interview you need to have a diagnosis a dsm 5 tr diagnosis so the criteria for PTSD is a symptom checklist. Whether you are currently being abused or not is not part of that diagnostic category. So right now, a lot of people in Ukraine would be classified as having a mental disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, even though their country is still being bombed. Right, they're actively. Right. This isn't like residual. This is real time. Yes, have, this is real yeah, time. They have trauma real but time. But if your symptoms go on for two months or longer... Mm -hmm. You get PTSD, even if the war rages on, even if the husband who's beating the wife is still beating her. Right. She gets diagnosed with a brain disorder uh -huh. called post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's all we need. So that's the diagnostic interview is you're going to ask for symptoms. What are the primary symptoms? You got to go through the checklist of different diagnoses that you're entertaining. You got to ask about medical conditions to rule out any medical causes of this disorder. You got to ask about prescription meds, family history, brief social history, substance use history, those types of things. There's something called a mental status exam where you got to maybe even test people's memory very briefly. And based on all of that, you're going to come to a diagnosis or more than one diagnosis. And yeah, you're going to start treatments, psychotherapy, medications. If it's a substance use issue, maybe refer for a 12-step program. So you can augment with other strategies, but the overwhelming majority of people will be prescribed a pill. What is that overwhelming majority? Like in the 60s, the 70s? So the, the majority of people who are treated for mental health are actually seeing their primary care docs. Usually they're internist or family practice or OBGYN. And pretty close to 100% of those interventions are going to be pills. Right. We're going to start trying. Some You've got things, depression. Yeah. I'll give you an antidepressant. You've got a mood instability problem. I'll give you a mood stabilizer. If you have psychosis, most of those people are going to say, refer to a psychiatrist yeah. and or refer to the hospital. So that's how it works. Yeah. And then I guess what is the outcome of this approach broadly? This is where I start getting into trouble with my colleagues sometimes. Okay. So I want to say... 
treatments do work. You are a perfect example of that. 12-step programs can work for people. Treatments can save people's lives. A psychologist can tell you, I can't change you. Go accept your sexual orientation. That one brief intervention can be life-saving or life-changing. Can we also really quickly add, and I might be wrong about this, but I also think implicit in this model, just the simple fact that the most common prescription is an SSRI inhibitor. So they have concluded that serotonin and a lack of serotonin is what is underpinning the depression. And that if we inhibit the uptake of it, more will pool in your brain and you will have more on demand. So what's really saying is that we've isolated the cause. It's the chemical or the neurotransmitter or the hormone, you know, neuroepidephrine, dopamine, these neurotransmitters are what we're going to measure, even though we can't really measure it. Actually, we can, and they've been measured, and I think you really know the real answer. They're not really imbalanced in the brain. They're normal, yeah. They're normal in the brain. Yet the paradigm, because the treatment is changing serotonin or the treatment is targeting dopamine, the paradigm that persists in the minds of the overwhelming majority of clinicians is that you have a serotonin imbalance, I'm going to prescribe you Prozac because I've seen it work. Yeah, sure. So you must have a serotonin imbalance because Prozac is supposed to increase your serotonin levels between the synapse and how or why exactly it all works. We don't know, but you've got a serotonin problem, so I'm going to give you a serotonin drug. Somebody with ADHD, you've got a norepinephrine or dopamine problem. I'm going to give you a stimulant that's going to increase norepinephrine and dopamine. Right. Um, You've got a psychotic disorder. You've got too much dopamine. I'm going to give you a dopamine blocking drug. Yeah. Let's block that toxic dopamine in your brain. It's interesting. So really it's saying, yes, the bottom line of all these things is their neurotransmitter issues. This model is speculation based on serendipitous findings. So the first antidepressant was a tuberculosis medication. Nobody knew why the fuck it worked. (laughs) They were prescribing it for tuberculosis, and they noticed that some tuberculosis patients who had been clinically depressed were now all of a sudden no longer depressed. Some astute infectious disease doctor noticed, maybe we should use this in all the depressed patients on that psych ward and see what happens. Lo and behold, it made some of them less depressed. Yeah, They didn't know how it worked. They didn't know about any neurotransmitters at that point. They just knew this pill reduces symptoms of depression. It's incredible how many medications are that kind of unintended off-label. Even like I started taking Propecia, you know, whatever, 18 years ago to keep my hair and to realize, oh, well, that was a prostate medicine. This thing was a that and we notice, oh my God, here's a weird side effect we would all want. How many medicines are like that? You think they went in with a theory? I bet if we make this molecule chain, it'll affect this area of the brain. Oh, by God, we're right. No, it's like, oh, just accidentally we found out it was doing this. The prototype for every psych drug is that. So the first antipsychotic was actually being studied as an anesthetic compound. Serendipitously, lithium seems to stabilize wild, crazy mood swings. We don't know why. We don't know how, but it works. So just give them the pill. And then the pharmaceutical revolution looked at these prototype drugs studied them meticulously. What the hell is that doing to the brain? Right. And then they figure out, oh, it seems to like block dopamine D2 receptors. Let's create more molecules that block dopamine D2 receptors and maybe we'll develop better drugs, better medications with less side effects or something. And so 
there's a whole class of antipsychotics based on that model. We noticed that it blocks these receptors and then more receptors were discovered along the way. Well, this molecule seems to also play a role in serotonin receptors or serotonin levels. Can we say then from this that if antidepressants do work well for you, that you probably do have an imbalance of serotonin? Because that is fixing that? No. Okay. Because serotonin plays a lot of roles in the human body. So just because you give a medication that reduces symptoms doesn't mean you've identified anything about cause and effect. So the easiest example I'll give you, I use this in the book. If somebody has a headache and they take Tylenol, the headache can go away. The cause of the headache was not a Tylenol imbalance. Right. Or a Tylenol <laughs> oh, deficiency a, totally. that's in a, the brain. In, interesting, yeah. yeah. And yet Tylenol reduce symptoms. So if we go to these serotonin reuptake inhibitors and they work, correlation. we should not assume that the cause of the disorder was a serotonin imbalance. But that improved serotonin levels will alleviate the symptoms or increased serotonin levels. It says that we don't know how or why this works. Now, again, the... Neuroscientists have been studying this for decades. So the logical assumption is there must be a serotonin imbalance in the brain. Let's measure it. We've got all these fancy brain scans. We could do lumbar punctures. I mean, we could measure blood levels. We could do something. Let's measure it. Because the field of psychiatry has desperately wanted biomarkers for the illnesses that we treat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Decades and decades of this research have been done. Billions of dollars have been spent on it. And the answer is... No, there doesn't seem to be a serotonin imbalance there. But they can measure it? They can measure all sorts of stuff. Hmm. So it's not a serotonin imbalance per se, but that doesn't necessarily mean that elevating serotonin levels doesn't give you an effect. Right. Like cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine has a powerful effect on human it beings. It cures depression immediately. Caffeine has a powerful effect on human beings. Yeah. It doesn't mean you had a caffeine imbalance. Right. Yeah. So just because a molecule improves your symptoms doesn't necessarily tell us anything about the etiology. So coffee will wake you up. It's not that you had a coffee deficiency. It's that you maybe had too little sleep, but coffee can ameliorate too little sleep. And then you can get specific down to adenosine and adenosine receptors to understand the mechanisms of action. And so coffee, sleep, all of that, we actually have some of those mechanisms worked out and it does come down to adenosine and blocking adenosine receptors. Unfortunately, with all of the psych drugs, we don't have it figured out. But what we know is that these medications can reduce symptoms and or sometimes put disorders into remission. So what's not to love about that? But back to your question, how are we doing? The sad reality is that although we have treatments at work, and I don't want to step away from that, the majority of people who seek treatment for mental health conditions end up with a chronic disorder meaning that their depression will come and go, their anxiety will come and go, their bipolar symptoms will come and go, their psychotic symptoms will come and go. They will be lucky if the symptoms are put into remission. It's not even that the person no longer has symptoms. It's just that the person no longer meets criteria for the disorder. So in order to be diagnosed with major depression, you have to have five out of nine symptoms. If somebody comes in with five out of nine symptoms and we can clip one off, mm. that's yeah. called remission. Like yeah. Even though they still have four, 
yeah. of the nine symptoms because they no longer meet criteria. Now, obviously, somebody could come in with nine symptoms of depression, and we could get rid of five of them. Yeah, that's, that's significant great. benefit. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you could really help. And or you could still have mild lingering symptoms, but the symptoms are better. Again, I don't want to take away from the efficacy, but the outcome data for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are abysmal. And everybody knows that. Those are chronic lifelong disorders. You've got a brain disorder. you got a chemical imbalance in your head. And you just need to take your pills for the rest of your life. Right. That is the paradigm. Depression should be a treatable disorder on paper. We've got these great efficacy studies. Everybody talks about evidence-based medicine. One study followed over 400 people for 12 years, all getting treatment for depression. And they were allowed to get any treatment they wanted. Pills, the psychiatrist could change their pills. They could add psychotherapy. They could do groups. They could do AA. They could do anything. What the study found is that only 10% of the people achieved remission and sustained their remission. Other studies have looked at if a primary care doctor starts an SSRI five years later, how many of those patients are still on antidepressants? Don't they just get better and stop the medication after a year or something? You would think they should. 95% are still on antidepressants. Many of them are still having lingering symptoms of depression, waxing and waning. They come and go. And when they come back, they up the dose or they change your medicine. Why? Well, we don't know. We don't really understand it. The medication pooped out or you had a stressor in your life. Okay, two things I'll just pressure test. One is, yeah, 10% rough. I will just throw this out there. So AA's, it's not good. It depends what you read. It's very hard to determine what a success of that program is. Did they work it correctly? But let's just say... In general, it's like in the 30% success rate. If you kind of take all these different numbers and average them, it's not a very effective solution unless you make it relative to no AA. And the no AA is like 0.5% of people who are going to achieve long-term sobriety by themselves. So when you make it relative to the other option, it's a 60X, you know, it's quite relevant. Yes, could you argue in that group of 400 people that 10% sucks, but also 10% relative to 0% is pretty good or at least worthy? In fairness, it's not even just the 10%. So 10% got a durable, lasting remission of illness, uh -huh. meaning they no longer met criteria for depression and that was sustained over time. And they years. weren't on their therapies anymore. They were still getting their treatment, but at least the treatment was working fully and durably. Got it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the 90% weren't getting any benefit from treatment. A okay. lot of them probably were occasionally getting yeah, remission. It's not enough to leave the... They might get six months of remission, but then it comes back. So their life so that, could have gotten 2x better yes. by some measure. Yes. But it's just not enough to take them off of what the DSM says was... Yes. Okay. It just means that depression is a chronic, relapsing, remitting illness. Right. That's what it really means. The reason that's important is that it says that our treatments are not targeting the root cause. Right. Our treatments for 90% of those people in that study were not getting at the heart of the root cause. They were symptomatic treatments. I got you. Reducing yes. right. symptoms, mm -hmm. but the illness was still festering. It would be like using Tylenol to treat an infection. Tylenol can reduce your symptoms, but it's not going to make the infection go away. Right. So I'm not anti-treatment at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those treatments are reducing suffering, putting some people into remission. It's great. Right. You're asking the question, 
could we turn this from a chronic illness to an acute? Mm. Can we do better than what we're doing? More importantly, why aren't we able to do better? And to bring it home with that statistic for anybody who's listening who thinks you're being way too pessimistic, Chris Palmer. How dare you? I just want to remind people depression is a leading cause of disability on the planet. And all of those people or most of those people are in fact getting treatment. You can't qualify for disability in the United States without getting treatment. You have to have a physician sign that you are disabled. If you're not getting any treatment at all, you're not going to get disability. You're not in that mm, statistic. Yeah. And everyone listening is going to have had a person in their life that they've seen great improvement through the current pharmacological answer. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, my wife loves it. It is funny, though, because yesterday something happened with somebody in my life, and immediately I was like, why aren't they medicated? Right. It was like the first thing I thought. I was like... I don't understand why they aren't medicated. So this is interesting timing, but I still feel that today. I'm like, I would feel better if that person was medicated. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, Getting ready for a marathon or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. Mm. It was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card. Issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. So... You are now looking at this through a different lens, right? Which wouldn't be just, oh, you don't have enough of this chemical. You're considering that mental illness is the same as all other illness in the body. I am arguing that mental disorders are metabolic disorders. So right now there are three clearly accepted metabolic disorders. And those are obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Hormonal imbalances get thrown in, and it could really be any hormone. But a lot of times people just talk about those as endocrine disorders or hormonal disorders. Right. But they're clearly impacting metabolism. But a lot of people would not necessarily refer to them as metabolic disorders. Okay. And metabolism is what? So metabolism is a fundamental part of all living organisms. 
And it actually is a key aspect of the definition of a living organism. So some biologists will say viruses, for instance, are not officially living organisms because they cannot do metabolism on their own. Mm. Mm. They can replicate, but they have to use another living organism to replicate themselves. And so it's that other living organism that's perpetuating them. So metabolism in a nutshell is taking in food and oxygen, turning it into energy or building blocks that are used to sustain life. And it also includes like the management of waste products of that process. Right. So those things come into a cell. The cell turns it into proteins or it builds something and then it excretes a waste that is deposited somewhere. Yes. And these cells can start malfunctioning. Any one of those elements can start going awry. They can't get rid of their waste. They're not processing the oxygen. They're not building a protein. Whatever the thing is, a cell can get into a state of disrepair. Yes. If a cell is metabolically compromised, it will get into a state of disrepair or it will die. Explain to me what's happening within the three you mentioned metabolically. Like what's happening in a diabetic? So this is one of the fundamental things. You know, if you ask even a lot of physicians, what are the connections between diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease? If you ask people in the general population, most people will say it's diet. If you eat a shitty diet, you're going to have one of those things or all of those things. Some people will start to throw in exercise. It's exercise. If you eat a clean diet and exercise a lot, you will not have any of those three things. Clear cause, clear effect. In reality, if you look at the science and if you look at all of the exceptions to the rule, it's actually not at all that simple. Diet and exercise do play profound roles in metabolic disorders and human health, but they are not the only factors that play a role. I want to make sure I understand it very clearly before we march forward. A metabolic disorder, for it to be called a metabolic disorder, it's not performing one of those things. I'm still unclear. You and numerous scientists are unclear about how to define okay. a metabolic disorder. Okay. I am proposing that the fundamental easiest definition of a metabolic disorder is dysfunction in these tiny things in our cells called mitochondria. So that if a cell has either insufficient mitochondria or if those mitochondria are not functioning properly, that cell will, by definition, be metabolically compromised. Great, because of course my question now is, what is mitochondria? Most people know mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell. So they take in food and oxygen. They are the only thing in the human body that uses oxygen for the most part. Oh. So we breathe in oxygen. It is exclusively for our mitochondria. So mitochondria take food and oxygen and they turn it into ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell. And that's what most people know, powerhouses of the cell. Research over the last 20 years has completely shattered that definition. Oh, no. That's what, they, <laughs> that's, that's what you write on the test. It is. Well, you can still write it on the test because okay. the teacher will probably think that is still the correct okay. answer. They are still the powerhouses of the cell. They are still doing the Krebs citric acid cycle, all of that. But in fact, they are doing so, so much more. They play a direct role in the production of neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine and GABA and others. They play a direct role in the regulation of gene expression in the cell nucleus. They are the primary regulator of epigenetics. 
Okay. Mm. They create signals called reactive oxygen species and other signals. They actually create proteins that communicate with the cell nucleus. They play a profound role in calcium regulation. And those signals are the key factors that turn genes on and off in a cell. And determine what the cell actually is. During development, yes. And mitochondria are critical to that process as well. And when you disrupt mitochondrial function during cell development, the cell will not develop normally. So mitochondria are sending signals to the nucleus at very orchestrated, timed sequences so that the cell develops in a very clear and precise way. Mitochondria play a direct role in turning inflammation both on and off. So they play a key role in immune system function. They play a key role in the production and regulation of some really important hormones, such as cortisol, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. So they control the synthesis of that very first step in the synthesis of those hormones. And so if they are quote-unquote malfunctioning or if they are in short supply, one might begin to develop hormonal imbalances. I'll stop there, but actually new functions of mitochondria are being discovered. There are some very prominent aging researchers who are saying that mitochondria are exclusively in control for aging. Well, this is what Sinclair, his yeah. lab, right? Turning mice. Yes. Yes. It's administrative, could we say? The easiest way to think about mitochondria is if you think of a cell as a computer, this is a great analogy that one mitochondrial researcher used. A lot of people think of mitochondria as the power cord to the computer because they're the you know powerhouse. Right. And in fact, they are the power cord if you turn them off, there's no power and that cell dies. The computer won't work. But they are also the motherboard of that computer. They are allocating resources. They are orchestrating all of the different cell parts to do different things at different times. And they're doing it in response to the environment. So they are key sensors of our environment. They actually respond to human stress psychological stress. Well, they tell your immune system to ramp up. Yes, because they're controlling cortisol. Yeah. They're controlling inflammation. They're controlling adrenaline. And they actually play a role in releasing neurotransmitters and hormones. Releasing a neurotransmitter or hormone is actually an active process. And mitochondria are kind of shepherding vesicles filled with neurotransmitters or hormones to the cell membrane and releasing them. And then they actually move just nanometers and release another batch and then release another batch. Mm -hmm. And if you interfere with their function, these things don't get released. Okay. So the core of metabolic disorder would be malfunctioning mitochondria. That's what I would argue. I don't know that that's a universally agreed upon definition. Okay. Well, people write in the comments that they're angry. <laughs> this, this happens. This is the nature of all this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, we're not there yet. We both will admit, right? We're just not there. We're not there. And everyone's doing their best. I would argue, if you look at all of the evidence, all lines are pointing to mitochondria. In a nutshell, what I'm arguing is, so we know that for obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, endocrine disorders, we know it for some cancers. Mm -hmm. We know it for Parkinson's disease unequivocally. More and more research is suggesting it's true for Alzheimer's disease and seizures. And what I'm arguing is that it is almost certainly true for people with what we call mental 
brain disorders. But I distinguish a mental disorder from human suffering or human adversity. Right. That's its own three-hour episode. Yeah. Which is like, <laughs> I think, no, no. But just, I would say in a nutshell, we have come to a little bit dangerous part where we think any suffering is abnormal or pathological as opposed to part of the human experience and condition. And it's really just us trying to figure out like what point is pathological and what point is quote normal. The DSM is exactly that, an attempt to establish what normal is, which is mired with all of its own shortcomings. But yes, there is an appropriate amount of suffering there's a, a useful amount of suffering. We can't even agree upon what that amount is, can we? We can't. As I said, Ukraine right now is a perfect example. Do those people really have brain disorders? Right, right. right. Their country's being bombed. You can check off the boxes for mm -hmm. PTSD. Yeah. And do we really think that all of a sudden, a significant portion of a population of human beings all developed a brain a disorder? Brain disorder? Right. right. And is that the right way to think about it? Or are they having normal reactions to adversity? To help people understand what I'm trying to get at, the easiest example is pain. All human beings have pain. If you don't have pain, you're really in trouble. You're going to injure yourself and you're going to get an infection at the bottom of your foot. You're not even going to feel it. You're not going to know it and you're going to die. It's not pleasant. It sucks. Pain is normal. If you get surgery, you're going to have a shitload of pain. Does that mean it shouldn't be treated? Of course not. Should all pain be treated? Of course it should. If you get surgery, are you going to maybe take pills? I'm sorry to bring this up. Actually, no, that, no. 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 <laughs> I, I listened to that episode and I'm sorry. No, but no, no. <laughs> people who get surgery are going to have pain. Yeah. That pain needs to be managed one way or another. But there is also a class of disorders called pain disorders in which people's pain system is malfunctioning and they are having pain for no clear reason. Fibromyalgia is a pain disorder. Migraine headaches are a pain disorder. Chronic low back pain is a pain disorder from a herniated disc. All of those disorders represent normal neurons or pain systems in the brain malfunctioning. They are sending a pain signal. An alert signal that's not warranted. When they should not be. Right. As a rule of thumb, those disorders are thought to be disorders of hyperexcitability. The neuron is firing when it should not be firing. It is creating the sensation and suffering of pain when there is no clear reason for that pain. I think of mental disorders in the same way. We all have depression and anxiety. That's normal. If somebody is under extreme stress, like surgery, soldier on a battlefield, Ukrainians, your country is being bombed, you're seeing loved ones die, your life is threatened. Extreme stress, you're going to have extreme symptoms, maybe extreme depression, extreme anxiety, PTSD symptoms or trauma symptoms. But those, really quick, we could deduct the triggering element and it would go away. Yes, in my mind, Hallmark that is the ideal treatment. Right? And yeah. the third group are people who have mental symptoms depression, anxiety, panic, with no clear reason. They're yeah. sitting in the comfort of their home, yeah, on the safe. sofa. They're not even having scary thoughts or stressful thoughts. And out of the blue, they are experiencing anxiety, depression, and they're like, what is wrong with me? Why am I having this experience? Yeah. The reason I think 
it is so critically important to distinguish those is because the treatments should, in fact, be different. The last category represents the brain malfunctioning, and that requires an approach to correct the brain malfunctioning. But the second example, as you said, the treatment is remove the adversity or the gay boy who can't accept himself, get him to accept himself. Yeah. Let's get him to that meeting with that hot co-ed. Exactly. See what's or or get, him, get him into a different environment where people are accepting. If he's unsafe, get him to safety. But there's a huge difference between those two. You know, soldiers on a battlefield, I really kind of don't want to medicate them with anything sedating because their life depends on it. So they're not getting eight hours of sleep every night. Right. Well, you know what? They shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're hyper startling at night. They hear the slightest sound and they wake up and they might say, Doc, I've got insomnia. Well, you better not use a pill to make that soldier sleep soundly for eight hours because that may cost him or her their lives. They need to wake up. Their body is trying to save itself. Yeah. But what about 10 years down the road when that's over? That is a brain disorder. Okay. If they have been safe and sound for the last 10 years, the majority of human beings' bodies do adjust. Their brains adjust. They go through an adaptation period where... All of the soldiers' first day home, they're all still hyper-startling. They're yeah. all still numb, Overall. triggering. I mean, everything. Yeah. Because the symptoms don't go away right away. But where do we draw that line? Yeah, lots of controversy. Yeah. Right now, DSM draws it at two months. But again, DSM unfortunately doesn't say that the offending trauma or danger has to be done removed. Yeah. Right. Again, the battered woman can still be diagnosed with a brain disorder while she's actively yeah. being battered. Yeah. Okay, so what makes total sense to me is that in the pain example, you have some hyperactivity of the nerve endings. Let's say it's in your arm. It seems to me that the issue, the metabolic disorder, whatever the issue is, is localized to where the pain's coming from. That's where the cells are that are in a state of overactivity. They go up to your brain, they tell you it hurts there, but would I be right in to think that that's where the issue is, wherever you're feeling the pain is where the cells are that are overactive? Not necessarily. They certainly could be. The area of the brain that perceives pain in that location could actually be hyperexcitable. It could be either or. Or anywhere along the path sure. of that neuron yeah. from your arm, say to your spinal cord, up to your brain. If you get a tumor, for instance, pinching on that nerve anywhere along the line, Ooh. you might actually get hand pain, pain. Mm -hmm. when the you tumor's in your upper arm. Yes, you uh -huh. might feel it as hand pain. Okay. So my, then my question is, because mental illness is in your brain, is it logical to assume that it starts and ends there? That that's where the sources, or do we think that it too can be coming from somewhere else in your body? I think that's one of the unfortunate flaws in the mental health field, is thinking of mental illnesses as localized to the brain uh -huh. and thinking that the brain is disconnected from the rest of the human body yeah. when we know it's not. The latest, greatest thing that everybody's already heard, the gut-brain connection. Your gut actually has 90 to 95% of the serotonin in the human body. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow, 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 wow. Did not know that. So you have a serotonin problem? Well, maybe you should be thinking of your gut before you think of your brain. Oh, wow. interesting. 
And researchers have not found serotonin imbalances in the brain. Maybe there's something going on in the gut, but psychiatric researchers aren't, for the most part, studying the serotonin system in the gut because, well, what the hell would that have to do with depression? Depression has to be come from your brain because that's what controls everything. But for better or worse, the human body is interconnected and interdependent. The brain relies on your heart, obviously, to pump blood up to it. The brain relies on the liver to send fuel sources when called for. The brain is actually telling the liver and pancreas to secrete things or not secrete things. You can see why they've made this division, though, right? It is a bizarre thing. It's not somatic cells. It doesn't go through mitosis, right? It doesn't repair the brain cells. There's a blood-brain barrier. There's all these things that do make it unique to the rest of the body. You can see the temptation to think of it as almost completely separate. I don't fault anyone yeah. for thinking that. What I'm arguing is that we've been pursuing that path for at least and a century, yeah. for a century. With, uh, yeah, all resources. And we have spent billions, if not trillions of dollars. And the answer right now still is nobody can figure it out. It's too complicated. We can't even figure out why or how Prozac works. And for whom will it work and for whom won't it work? Right. Mm. Okay, so your theory is that Mental illness or disorder is a metabolic condition. Now, how do we treat the other accepted metabolic conditions? Let's just start with the ones that are accepted. So if obesity and diabetes are metabolic disorders, how are they activated and how are they treated? We know risk factors for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. And they largely overlap, although there can be some distinct differences for specific disorders, but they're minor. Overarchingly, diet, exercise, toxin exposure. Cigarette smoking is the easiest example. Excess alcohol drugs are also examples, all mm -hmm. sorts of things. But infections play a role in this. Inflammation plays a role in all of those disorders. So some people with obesity have a specific virus in their fat cells. And people who have that virus in their fat cells are much more likely to become obese. Is the virus named and understood and studied? It is. I'm not going to say the name because I'm not an expert in this area. Yeah. I know the concept and I'm certain of the concept, so I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Okay, right, right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah, say the wrong fair. virus name. Yeah, yeah. But there is a virus that's been identified for actually a few decades now, much, much more prevalent in obese people. I've heard some of those explanations. The thing that's really, really hard to ignore is obesity rates over the last century. Yeah. So what you'd really have to be suggesting is that the prevalence of this virus has quintupled and quintupled and quintupled. And I find that very hard to believe. I'm not at all asserting it's all this virus. Because right, right, again, right. first one I listed is diet. What diet we do know is like starting in the changed. 50s, it just starts climbing yes. and it's in this is fucking insane. It's like the only thing that mirrors the tech explosion. <laughs> I want to add psychological and social factors as well. So stress, loneliness, a sense of meaning and purpose in Sexual life. trauma. Trauma. All adverse childhood experiences play a role in all of those quote-unquote 
metabolic disorders. So now we're talking about biological, psychological, and social factors all play a role in metabolic disorders. I want to just highlight one specific example because a lot of people will still say, well, you know, trauma just makes people overeat. And so many people feel that they are certain that if you have obesity, the problem is clear. You're eating too much. If you just ate less, you wouldn't be obese. And so it's a problem of willpower. But one clear example are cigarette smokers. So cigarette smokers on average tend to weigh less than non-smokers. And yet, they are much more likely to develop heart attacks, a metabolic disorder. And they are also twice as likely to develop type 2 diabetes. That starts to challenge this notion that it's overeating delicious food makes people fat, which then makes them diabetic, which then makes them have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the sequence that most people know and yeah. assume is fact. That sequence can happen, but it's not the only sequence. Can I also flag, this is where everything unravels for people, I think, and what gets very frustrating for people. That very well may be the exact mechanism, and it might even be for 80%. We're so varied. <laughs> There's so many outcomes to a human life. People are very attracted to this is the singular mechanism, but there's multiple. There has to be some kind of appetite for the many different ways. So yes, the cigarette smoking thing is an interesting anomaly in that equation. But what I would argue is there's a lot of different ways to heart disease. Yes. And unfortunately, someone comes along and everything's got to be binary. And then People seem to lose credibility when it's not one size. 100% agreed. There's going to be like 90 different versions of how someone gets to each one of these places. And despite that, the good news is that we can do something about these illnesses. We can help people lose weight. We can help prevent heart attacks. We can help reverse even type 2 diabetes. We can help people improve through changes in diet, exercise, stress reduction, sleep, uh, psychosocial interventions. Connections with one another. We can do that. We don't necessarily need to know the exact biological pathways for each and every one of those steps. What I'm arguing is if you look at any one of those risk factors, are also all risk factors for all mental disorders. So this is about looking at all of the basic cell biology to the risk factors, to the exacerbating factors, mental disorders and metabolic disorders are indistinguishable. Mental can feed metabolic and metabolic can feed mental. Metabolic can result in mental symptoms or mental disorders. Because they're not functioning correctly. They're not playing their role in the overall ecosystem. And then it may materialize as that mental health disorder. Yes. In the same way that all of those factors can make your heart malfunction, or in the same way that all of those factors can disrupt your endocrine system or your fat cells or whatever to cause obesity or to contribute to obesity, what I'm arguing is that the brain is an organ too. And in the same way that all of those factors can come together to cause what we call metabolic disorders, those exact same factors also come together to cause dysfunction in the brain, which we end up calling 
mental disorders. Right. And then splintering into a million different diagnoses. Because the brain is such a fucking complicated organ. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you, or at least minimally in some of the other interviews I've heard in a big component of brain energy, your book, is the diet. You seem to focus heavily on the diet, most specifically ketogenic diet you're a proponent of? You know, in the book, I actually don't focus on the ketogenic diet oh, much okay. at all. okay. Believe it or not. Just you and Tim Ferriss really oh. got off on the ketogenic. <laughs> no, so, and Andrew Huberman focused on the ketogenic diet as well. So a lot of people are really interested in that because that is kind of the novel treatment. Well, can I tell you something? I'm not. In fact, one hesitation of interviewing you was... I happen to love this guy. He's in the same world as Ferris and Huberman, and his name's Lane Norton. He's a nutrition scientist. I know, do you know Lane, Lane Norton? Norton. I do know. Wonderful. I, well, I know who he is. Okay. I don't know him personally. Of all these guys, he's kind of my favorite. He seems to be the most dogmatic to the actual study in the meta-analysis of all the studies. And I think the world of diets is so <laughs> fucking fundamentalist, religious, yes. wacky. And I don't ever like giving fuel to any one of those specific ones. So that was like my own reservation. I was like, I don't want anyone walking away from here with either more shit to defend their keto choice, which go crazy, be ketogenic. I also agree with Lane that if you control for protein, all these diets work. It's really which one fits your lifestyle and your temperament. I think that's really important for people to remember. Those are my caveats, but tell me why ketogenic is very helpful in this metabolic disorder. So the reason I have been doing work on the ketogenic diet. It was all serendipity. Doris? Doris was actually subsequent. She was just like the brilliant case example of what's possible. This story really began with my own story. So I did a low-carb, what was subsequently a ketogenic diet, before it was really referred to as It was Atkins then, right? I did the Atkins diet. You and I have a parallel life. So I did, when I was 20, I did low fat for a year. Almost no fat. I did no fat. Terrible. Lost weight. Felt like shit. No muscle mass. And then at some point, me and my girlfriend did Atkins for a year. It too. I lost weight. So again, like, yeah, all of them ultimately end up being caloric restrictive in some capacity. And they all kind of work. And then for me, it's like, what is my body composition after I've lost the weight that I end up caring about? But I just thought it was funny that I've, I've been down both the roads that you have. As yeah. Well. And I think speaking about diet and the work that I do, we have to get really granular about what are the goals and what are you trying to achieve? Some people might want to put on muscle mass and maintain that muscle mass. Other people might want to lose fat. Everyone wants a larger penis. <laughs> I'm not aware of any good dietary interventions for that. My work is really focused on the use of the ketogenic diet in epilepsy. So the ketogenic diet is a 100-year-old evidence-based treatment for epilepsy. It can stop seizures even when medications and surgery fail to stop seizures. You know I have epilepsy. I did not know that. Well, I do. <laughs> this bitch is epileptic. Yeah. Chris. And did you not know that? Mm-mm. This is tragic that you do not know it. She has a neurologist. That's fine. If your epilepsy is controlled, yeah. then you would not be considered a quote-unquote candidate for it. They will do brain surgery 
before they will prescribe a diet for someone's <laughs> yeah, epilepsy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because never a, di- heard a diet is crazy. Come yeah, on, like yeah. you don't want to do a diet. Yeah. Well, this is the same paradox as physical therapy versus surgery. It is perfect with that. Also, yeah. did I read you have found some connection between depression and epilepsy or no? Oh, did absolutely. I- oh my God. Like, buckle up. At least a third of patients with epilepsy will attempt suicide. Oh. Most of those suicide attempts occur before the person is diagnosed with epilepsy. Oh my God. People with epilepsy, about 50-ish percent will be suffering from depression and anxiety. That compares to like 8% of the general population. They've got a huge risk. Nine-fold increased risk for schizophrenia. (laughs) That's 900%. (laughs) Markedly increased risk for bipolar disorder. One study, the sample probably skewed it, but they actually found 25 times the rate of bipolar disorder in people with epilepsy. People with epilepsy are more likely to have autism spectrum disorder. People with epilepsy are much, much more likely to have ADHD. They're much more likely to have enormous podcasts and beautiful homes. I don't feel like I have a lot of those things, (laughs) to be fair. Are you real lucky? (laughs) Also, I would imagine it's commensurate with the level of epilepsy you have, which is she's only had a few and they were at night. And we can get to that. Like, why would people have different symptoms? Yeah. If you've got a metabolic problem, why wouldn't you have all of the symptoms of metabolic disorder? So I actually, when reading the connection you were making between epilepsy and the keto diet, I was actually then going back in my mind, imagining what state your diet was in the times you had them. Yeah, it made me real curious. Yeah. yeah. So the bottom line is we've got two Cochrane reviews. Cochrane reviews are the gold standard in the medical field. They are the gold standard meta-analysis of all of the randomized controlled studies that have been done. And those two Cochrane reviews have concluded that the ketogenic diet for children with treatment-resistant epilepsy, children and adolescents, it is a superior intervention than trying yet another medication. Six-fold increased risk of being seizure-free with a ketogenic diet, if a kid comes in with treatment-resistant epilepsy, meaning they've tried three or more medications and or brain surgery or neurostimulators or electrodes or whatever. Acupuncture. Sure. Throw in <laughs> acupuncture. Yeah. And throw in some happy thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, if those things aren't working to control the epilepsy, if that child gets another pill, the chances of them becoming seizure-free is almost zero. The chances if that child tries the ketogenic diet the chances of them becoming seizure-free are about 33%. And another 33% will have a significant reduction in seizures. 66% essentially will have at least some improvement, if not seizure freedom, with ketogenic diet. The research trials in adults are not as good. Uh And that's because... Adults don't seem to be able to do the diet and or <laughs> yeah. there's something. No one's making their food every yes. day. Any mom to exactly. move on a keto diet. <laughs> so, so I want to come back to the statement that you said, Dax, which is, you know, different diets, calorie restriction. Different diets do not stop seizures. Gotcha. Mediterranean diet, calorie restricted, does not stop seizures. High protein diet does not stop seizures. The ketogenic diet stops seizures. So that is a medical fact. Okay, but one thing I thought of, not unlike the way we made some spurious conclusions based on the SSRI inhibitors, no arguing the outcome, no arguing the correlation for me. You go on a ketosis diet, you get your ketones up, you have all these outcomes that are really favorable. 
But the only thing I just wanted to pause, and of course, this is based on my own anecdotal self-centered thing of having psoriatic arthritis and how I've ultimately figured out how to control it over 20 years. Just because we're seeing elevated ketones, instead of the presence of the ketones being responsible, what if it's not just the absence of the fucking allergen? When you go keto, you're getting rid of all these grains, you're getting rid of gluten, you're getting rid of a ton of potential allergens that people are probably suffering from. You definitely are. So first and foremost, there are numerous variations of the ketogenic diet. You can do a vegan ketogenic diet. No, thanks. You can do a vegetarian ketogenic diet. Most people do an omnivore version, and some people will do a carnivore diet, which is 100% animal sourced foods. The most fundamentalist of the fundamentals. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) that whole spectrum are the diet wars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And what I'm saying is keto is an umbrella over all of them. You can be in any of those camps and still be keto. Intermittent fasting can play a role in ketosis and a ketogenic diet. But the ketogenic diet, it's more than just the presence of ketones because we have ketones that you can drink now. So people can drink ketones. They're called exogenous ketones. You can buy a bottle of them and drink them. And that will increase ketones in your bloodstream. That does not stop seizures. The mechanism of action is not the presence of ketones alone. The presence of ketones is a biomarker for a lot of other things happening. And exogenous ketones play a role in physiology and brain function and all sorts of other things. Is that a supplement worth taking? I mean, Uh, neither of us are in the prescription business of uh, supplements, but is the exogenous ketones worth exploring? Here in LA, it's all the rave. Oh my God. How did I miss out? Chris Hemsworth. Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh my God. I haven't even heard of that. Andrew Huberman. Tim Ferriss. All sorts of people are drinking ketones. Okay. So um, you guys are missing out on the ketone party. I can't imagine how good I would look. Well, and for Dax, you in particular, I'll come back to it if you want, but there's a study of alcoholics. Uh uh-huh. On ketones and possibly exogenous ketones and all that. Wait, I can drink and look no, like Chris Hemsworth? No, you not to drink. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? You can drink ketones and look uh, like Chris Hemsworth. I wish. <laughs> Ketogenic diet has been studied for decades by neurologists and biotech companies trying to figure out how the hell does this diet stop seizures? It was first developed from this millennia-old observation that fasting can stop seizures. Hippocrates knew that fasting could stop seizures. Mm. One version of the New Testament talks about Jesus treating an epileptic child. Child seizing, his disciples were praying, praying wasn't working, and Jesus came and said, you must fast the child plus prayer to stop the demon possession. Uh, it was demon possession right, of that, that yeah. point. Yeah. You must fast. Still is, maybe. And the fasting know. stopped the seizures. So this has been known for over 2,000 years. About 100 years ago, 1920s, two physicians put it to the test because it was largely thought to be religious folklore. The problem with fasting, though, is that once people start eating again, the seizures come back. If you fast too long, you starve. Right. And that's a really bad medical dead, intervention. They say yeah. dead men have no seizures. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that. This is true. <laughs> so the ketogenic diet has been studied for 100 years trying to figure out how it works. We know that it changes neurotransmitter systems in the brain. It decreases brain inflammation. It changes the gut microbiome in profound ways. A paper just published in Cell, which is a leading biological journal. Those researchers are arguing that the primary mechanism of action might be through the gut microbiome. And so again, now we're getting to the gut-brain connection. Like, why would something stop seizures? Those researchers in an animal model 
tried to prove, they think they did, I'm not 100% persuaded yet, but it's pretty compelling, that the ketogenic diet changes the gut microbiome, that somehow stops seizures in the brain. And that they could actually transplant the microbiome from a ketogenic diet-fed mouse into a sterilized mouse not on a ketogenic diet who's also having seizures, and that sterilized mouse will get the anti-seizure effect from the gut microbiome, Mm -hmm. from the mouse fed, the ketogenic diet. So it gets complicated quickly. It changes hormone systems. It changes all sorts of things. Central to my thesis, it does two things to mitochondria. It stimulates a process called mitophagy, which is getting rid of old and defective mitochondria and replacing them with new ones. And it also stimulates another process called mitochondrial biogenesis, which is the production of new mitochondria. So when people do the ketogenic diet, their cells over time will have more mitochondria and those mitochondria will be healthier. And just really quick, I hate to ask a dumb question, but that's measurable. This has all been measured. Decades of neuroscience research. They remove some cells and they can see the mitochondria. Because anytime we're talking nutrition, people are bouncing back and forth from what's observed and what they think is happening as the downriver result. I'm going to say something shocking. Okay. We know more about the effects of the ketogenic diet on the brain than we do any other dietary intervention. And the reason is because it stops seizures when medications don't. Pharmaceutical companies have been studying it to look for new targets. They want to develop new pills. They're trying to figure out what the fuck is this diet doing? How can you get into ketosis without the troubling diet associated with it? Well, that's the thing. You can drink ketones, but that doesn't work. Right. But I'm saying that would be the holy grail. So it's not so much ketosis, I'm arguing, and again, this is going to be controversial, but I'm arguing it's mitochondria. If you can improve mitochondrial function and number, those cells will function properly again. There are many other ways. Exercise increases mitophagy and mitochondrial biogenesis. Oh, thank God I'm doing one of these things. Um, Stress reduction, good sleep, staying off of alcohol, marijuana, cigarettes, vaping even, Mm. staying off those things is good for your mitochondria. Especially processed foods with lots of fat and sugar, like donuts and cookies. If you are eating those on a regular basis, we know that they are highly associated with higher rates of obesity, but also depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's disease, and other mental disorders. Interesting. And the metabolic disorders, too. So not just obesity, but type 2 diabetes and also cardiovascular disease. And this is exactly when I get back to my point six hours ago that we're going to find our way back to the Amish. <laughs> I mean, truly. Yeah. It gets so complicated to get back to the notion of eating good, unprocessed Real food. food. Yeah, real food. We got to get so complicated to come back. The sad truth is it's increasingly difficult to find real food. almost impossible. When you look at all the pesticides that are used on the food that we eat, when you look at all the hormones and antibiotics and other things that are pumped into any animal-sourced foods, whether it's salmon or cows or they're in the milk. We see girls going through puberty much earlier in life. We see hormone disruption from these chemicals. Everybody's scratching their head. What's causing it? Well, like open your eyes to these chemicals. We know these chemicals disrupt hormone systems and then that plays a role in all of this. 
Unfortunately, I'm not a doctor. I've done no research and I you haven't play read a doctor any. on Armchair Expert. Might be the only thing I've never played in a movie as a doctor. <laughs> but I have this super gut anecdotal feeling. Again, it's from my 20-year experiment with psoriatic arthritis, which is I think at the end of the day, we're all allergic to a lot of things we eat. And I think the inflammation and the elevated everything, I think we're all like having allergic reactions to a lot of the stuff we're eating. And I don't think you can detect it the way, I mean, I've been to an allergist and had the prick test on the back. It didn't really tell me anything, but then lo and behold, I cut out this thing for a long time. My knee doesn't swell up. You know, my overarching hunch is we have a lot of allergies going on in our body. So what I'm going to argue is a little different. Okay, great. It's very related, but I'm sticking with my central hypothesis. So all arrows are pointing to mitochondria. So instead of looking for a classic allergy that causes histamine release, that yeah. causes inflammation and rash. But just really quick, those are part of a system. So the rash creates another thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the things in our food supply today that did not exist 200 years ago caused mitochondrial dysfunction. And this has been fairly well established. High fructose corn syrup causes mitochondrial dysfunction. Eating a lot of processed foods causes mitochondrial dysfunction. A prominent researcher in the diabetes field has been studying this in the end phase of her career. And she has identified at least like three or 400 chemicals in the current food supply that all change mitochondrial function, mitochondrial reactive oxygen species, which then causes inflammation. So when you look at what causes inflammation, mm -hmm. like if you say eating toxic foods causes inflammation, that's true. But if you say why? Yeah, what's the mechanism? Yeah. The mechanism is mitochondria. There is no other way around it because mitochondria are stimulating all of the processes that trigger inflammation. Mitochondria are actually directly controlling our immune cells. They are playing an instrumental role in whether immune cells are turning on or off, whether they go through different phases. So all signs are pointing to mitochondria. And some people will hear this as, Chris Palmer, you're making it sound really simple. And the good news is on some fronts, it is really that simple. The overarching theory is that mitochondria are controlling the human body. And we need to understand that. And once you understand that, we can start to understand all of these different risk factors and how they result in illness. This is in concert, by the way, with Mukherjee's cell book. Yeah. If you actually open the door and step into this new world, it's a different paradigm, but it's an overwhelmingly complex new universe. There is so much about mitochondria that we don't understand. How are they controlling gene expression during development of a cell? A lot of them will move around the cell. They fuse with each other. They form these tubular networks and then they split off from each other. During development, they actually go around the cell nucleus, line up and take on different conformations. And those changes in their structure and function affect the regulation of genes. How the fuck is all that That's happening? Crazy. Nobody knows. It's right. all a big mystery. Yeah. So we spent so many years decoding the human genome, and we've gotten some information from it, but we have not gotten the magical answers that we had hoped to get to prevent mm. illness. And we certainly haven't gotten anything of a breakthrough in the mental health field 
because of mapping the human genome over 20 years ago. And what I'm arguing is we need to shift now. We need to step away from the human genome and start looking broadly at these concepts of metabolism and mitochondria to understand the bigger picture. The good news is it does present possible treatments today like the ketogenic diet. And we haven't said this outright, so I just want to say it to put in the plug for what even set me on this path. I have now seen in well over 100 patients a ketogenic diet put into full remission what are supposed to be chronic lifelong disorders, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, full and lasting remission. Over like what timeline? Like how long are we talking? So Doris, the woman you mentioned, is the longest example that I'm aware of that I actually know her whole story. And it's like 15 years or something? 15 years. She had suffered from schizophrenia for 53 years. Mm. She was 70 years old. She had tried to kill herself at least six times between the ages of 68 and 70. She was overweight. She was obese. She had a guardian. She was in and out of hospitals had tried lots of antipsychotics and mood stabilizers. Nothing worked. She was the classic example of a schizophrenic. She heard voices all the time, had paranoid delusions. She tries the ketogenic diet to lose weight under the guidance of Dr. Eric Westman at Duke, who's just running a weight loss clinic. He's not trying to treat mental disorders or anything. Mm -hmm. He's just helping people lose weight, using the ketogenic diet. And within two weeks, She starts losing weight, but notices dramatic reduction in her hallucinations and delusions. Within months, she's off all of her psychotropic medications and in full remission from her schizophrenia. Doris was 70 years old when that happened. She went on to live another 15 years, remained symptom-free, medication-free, no more mental health professionals, no more psychiatric hospitalizations, no more suicide attempts, Sadly, she passed away this past January, or last January, I guess now, of COVID pneumonia. Oh. But she was 85. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to think ketogenic diet killed her from COVID because she (laughs) she lost like 150 pounds. Wow. Wow, yeah. Oh, man. That's incredible. All of this is in brain energy, a revolutionary breakthrough in understanding mental health and improving treatment for anxiety, depression, OCD, PTSD, and more. There's a ton of great, case examples like Doris in the book. And I do love the handful of books now I've read that are ushering in this. To your point, like DNA, great. All we really did is figured out what every ingredient in the pantry is, but we have no idea how the fucking cake is baked. And we're trying to cook a specific cake and the fucking ingredients are a little bit irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the direction that this is all heading in. You're fantastic. I really appreciate your personal stories. That was my favorite part. And I'm so excited you came and stopped by. This has been a pleasure. Yes. And I'm hoping you wander over to Disney Music Hall and take the sights in and get the good food. I will. Yeah. I it's will. been a total pleasure having you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm not the fake Chris Palmer. brain energy everyone get it now thanks so much dr chris palmer thank you and now my favorite part of the show the fact check with my soulmate monica padman okie doke we're home how was your trip home trip home was fine we reversed we reversed yeah i had no TV. Yeah. And no bed. 
Uh-huh, yeah. But it was okay. No recline. Yeah, no recline, but it was all right. I had work to do, and I got it done. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I started panicking because we took a red eye. Yeah. First of all, what time did you land last night? I landed at 10.15. P.M.? Yes. Okay, and then what did you do? You went straight home. Went home. Made a pasta. I showered. Made a <laughs> yeah, I made a stew. Uh-huh. No, I showered. Okay. And then I went to bed. Nighty night. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even though it was 8 o'clock your time now. Well, by the time I went to bed, it was 12.30. Okay. So it was 10.30 Hawaii. Sure. Which is, which is about, about when you were hitting the that's head. That's right. Okay. That's right. Your trip. So we had a 10.10 departure time. Yep. And... When I selected the seats, you know, um, when I ordered the tickets, yeah, it seemed to me like they were going to be groovy, like they would lay lay down because it's a red eye. Oh my god! Hold I'm on a second. Hold on a second. I don't want to. I don't want to set too much of a bait and switch. But let's just say I was like ninety percent confident that's what the sitch was. Yeah. And then when we got to the gate, I don't know why. Just we both started feeling like. There's no way this. It just seemed. It, it just seemed bad. It seemed bad. There was a million and a half people. Also, the flight. I won't say what it is, but the airline you took. It could have gone either way. More of a crapshoot. I was like, you were very confident. You kept telling Lincoln over and over again <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. guys would have beds, yeah. and I kept thinking, oh no. Yeah, and that confidence was waning. <laughs> like so, you know, long trip. Delta played hard. By the time we arrived to the airport at night, yeah. She's cut her foot. She can't walk, oh, okay? Oh, my God. And you just walk through that airport. Well, and especially where we we dropped off the rental car. So you start at one end. Conservatively speaking, it was three-quarters of a mile from where we, maybe a mile. Because mm. it's a very end gate. You don't want to take a shuttle? Well, we walked to Ticketing, which was across the, I, it was, you park in the airport. Right. And then you walk across a bridge, mm-hmm. and then we walk a while, we get to ticketing. But then the gate was in the opposite universe right. of the ticketing. Maybe, were you in the same gate? Yeah. I mean, G6. No. No, I was in E, but there is a shuttle oh, in, in that airport. Okay, I don't know how that works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, I had Delta on my shoulders. Oh, God. Okay. And I had my backpack on. I brought my computer because we were working on a computer, iPad, fucking headphone, whatever. <laughs> The backpack conservatively was 35 pounds. Then you throw 60 pounds for Delta. So I was walking with like 100 pounds on. Mm. And it's fucking hot. The whole uh, airport, which is cool when you're in the mood for it, is kind of outdoors. Yeah. So it was hot and muggy, and I was in my Daniel Ricardo sweat outfit. Oh, your fart pants. My fart pants. My (laughs) fart suit. Needless to say, by the time we got to the gate, I was very drenched. Oof. And just the negative thoughts started seeping in. Like, Kristen's like, you sure these are going to lie? And I'm like, oh, yeah. But as I say it, I'm like, oh, fuck. I mean, I, judging from the photo I clicked on. Oh, yeah. And then, and again, everyone deserves it. But let me just say, I've never seen this before. So, okay. you know, they'll do uh, disabled passengers board first. Yes. That's great. That's a ding, 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 but okay. Oh, okay, no. great. <laughs> <laughs> then it then it was servicemen and women, which right. is great. There, but there's a big base there. Mm. So now there's we did have a lot on ours too. There's now that 25 you're people, yes. right? And it's one of these things where it's like, oh, boarding's at 9, 10. Uh-huh. You know, we're planning this whole thing out. You give the kids like a hello bello. Yes, melatonin for the flight. Because yeah. we gotta be out cold when the wheels are up. Mm-hmm. Anyways, everything's kind of back. 
you know, um, reverse engineered from that boarding time, whatever. Yeah. I sound like such a brat right now, but I'm just, what I'm, <laughs> the reason I'm painting it this way is I'm just trying to explain how much time there was for more and more doubt to slip in. Of course. So then they go, parents with small children. That's now, you. Monica knows like three and under. Oh. The number here is 30 or 40. Whoa. It's like, <laughs> so like a hundred people have gotten on this plane already. Yeah. And so I'm just starting to now feel jinxed. I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to go our way. It's mm -hmm. going to, okay, long story short, we get in there. They did recline. <laughs> Everything's groovy. <laughs> but I had, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But I had two hours of like, what next? Yeah. What happens when no one sleeps on this whole thing? We land. I've got to work. Yep. You know. Yeah. But it was fine. It was fine. It was maybe a, it's a four hour and 50 minute flight. Yeah. And I bet you I slept a good three and a half hours. Oh, nice. So okay. we land at 5 a.m. LA time. Yep. Get in the car. Yep. 5 a.m. today? Yes. <laughs> a couple yes. hours ago? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. And then again, now you got you got two kids who've just slept four hours and you, we got to go to baggage claim. And then we flew out on one airline. So That's I parked right. in P5, flew uh, back a different airline. Yes. That landed us way the fuck at the end. Oh shit! So you know we gotta we gotta walk another mile to get to the car that's, <laughs> that we parked there. Anywho, total lemonade though, because we got on the highway and I was like, look at this, girls. We're never on the highway at five forty in the morning. A, no traffic yes. or relatively no traffic. Yeah. And we're going to watch the sun come up, which we never do because we're lazy. We're not up to watch the sun come up. Yeah. And there's that beautiful moment where you're on the 105 and you're going to take that big left hand bridge. In fact, we shot some of chips up there. Mm. Big left hander up into the sky Ooh. to turn onto the 110. And you're 100 feet off the ground and baby, boom, the east horizon was just glowing oh, orange. Nice. And then you'd look to your left and then downtown was pitch black. Mm. And then you'd pop your head to the right again to the east, orange, <laughs> left, black. Orange is the new black. Orange is the new black. Yeah. It certainly was at 6 a.m. this morning. Yeah. So then the ride home was, was lovely. Did you sleep when you got back? What I chose to do was, as soon as I got off the plane, I grabbed a coffee. Oh. So I gotta drive the, everyone home and I've just slept three hours. Sure. So I want a little... Pick me up. Sure. So I banged back a large coffee on the ride home. Yeah. And then I got at home and then went up into my bedroom. Sure. And shut everything down and laid there and it, and hoping I'd grab like a nice three-hour nap. But I just had that big tall oh coffee. Oh, my gosh. So I really laid there for about 90 minutes. But then I did fall asleep for about an hour and 20. Okay. And I feel great now. Oh, I just good. got out of the shower. <laughs> I washed my hair. Yeah. I felt great. I shaved everywhere. Oh, nice. Yeah. You cleansed it. I, I got rid of the Hawaii trip. I did that last night, too. And you I, did? I felt like not, I mean, the trip was oh, wonderful. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so perfect. There's no reason to clean it off. Right. But I feel, gro like, I've been feeling grosser and grosser. As you age? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like on planes, uh -huh. I think it must be a post-COVID thing where I'm just aware of the like dirtiness. Okay. A little bit of a germaphobe now? I, yeah, and I think I always was. Oh, okay. Uh, but, <laughs> Truth but told. So I needed to, and I hadn't washed my hair all week as a, to, to see how crazy statement. it could get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I needed to wash, wash up. Well, similarly, I love how my hair behaves once I get it in the salt water. 
And so I swam in the ocean all day yesterday. Yeah, I just love it. But then one yeah. red eye later. The nasty. It's nasty. <laughs> it's nasty. You look gray and swamp ratty. I was like seeing grays everywhere between the grease. Well, and, you got to wash that off. And I had, you know, I like to, um, this is um, something of me. I don't know what it is. I'm out of adjectives for it. They've all been <laughs> rendered obsolete. But I trim my forearm hair. Right. So that, and I started doing that once I got my excessive tattoos because yeah, otherwise you can't see them okay that's to see the tattoos mm -hmm. well what really happened is um she shaved my whole arm to do the tattoo and then come to find out i'm talking with charlie and matt and charlie about it mm -hmm. uh, they're both heavily tattooed yes. and I'm like, oh yeah you gotta shave your oh, and i sure. come to find out they do that as well okay so anyways i've been doing it but i was really lacking on it yeah and i couldn't even see this this artwork you know, I've been doing that for years. Shaving your arms? Well, so I you use a—it's not to see. It's because someone made fun of me when I was young. Mm. Called me a werewolf. Mm. Arms. and so <laughs> Called me a werewolf. Arms. <laughs> so uh, I started using clippers on them. So I didn't— Yeah, that's I, what I do. Yeah. I, I don't, don't shave, shave. Right. You right. just get it to a tiny amount of hair. One guard. Right. On the peanut. Is it coming thicker, though? No, That's what they say, tail. but I don't wives think so. Tail. I mean, I think the shorter it is, the thicker it is. I mean, that's with even hair hair. Like, if it grows out, it just Wispy. thins out. Yeah. But you have a genetic coding for how much hair you're going to have. I don't think you can augment it. But it, isn't it good to get, like, your... Trimmed. Hair trimmed? Doesn't that stimulate growth? Look, I'm not, that, yeah. I don't know it enough does. about, I'm not a dermatologist, although <laughs> I do play a, one on also TV. Also, that has nothing to do you with You sure, skin and hair, that's, well, I'm no, sure. hair? Uh, keratin, it's all, yeah. I don't know about hair for dermatology. Well, look, there's no such thing as a hair doctor, so I'm right. sure it would fall under the purview of a dermatologist before any other one. I guess. Listen, or dentist. Yes, if you trim your hair, it does stimulate growth, but that doesn't have to do with thickness. Mm -hmm. That's length. Also, that might be to that some resources are going to the hair. Well, it's different hair, too. Yeah. Auxiliary hair, secondary hair. Anyway, I've been doing it, but I've been wanting to get laser, and I just haven't done it. But I need, I want to. Oh, okay. You could. You shouldn't, actually. It might mess up your tattoo. We don't know. It would probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I want the option to grow <laughs> it back in case I'm ever, like, become a woodsman or something. Oh, like, sure. I have a whole second stage in my life. I don't know if I'm going to be outdoors a lot in the tundra. I have a feeling you're always going to have those tattoos, though. Yes, I think so. Even if I didn't like them, I would not go through the pain in the ass of laser removal. Yeah. That was interesting. Remember Brolin on that episode? Josh Brolin had his removed. He said, I used to need them, and now I don't. I love that sentiment. Yeah, me too. I have a friend who got a tattoo removed. <laughs> was it probably a shitty one, though? Well, no. Oh. It was her first tattoo. Okay. And it was on her foot. Was it a dolphin jumping over? No. Okay. <laughs> but she, you always see it in pictures and she doesn't like that. Okay. She regretted it. After many, many years. And so she got it removed. Yeah. Was it? It's painful, right? Yeah. I've seen it. Look, look I don't want to um, talk disparagingly about tattoo removal because I don't know enough about it. Sure. But I have seen versions of it. Where I can't believe that's preferable to the person. It just looks like melted skin. Ew. Yeah, I've have you seen that? Rob? Yeah, Josh is. I you could. I could didn't inspect his body, but you could Unfold, not. Tell. Sadly, yeah. neither of us got Who's to. Josh. Roland. Oh, I was surprised that because he. I mean, his he, arms were out. And yeah. Yeah, they looked normal. 
Yeah, I've just seen the melted version. I'm yeah. like, I don't, that's not better than, uh, unless it was, turned out to be racist or maybe something. Maybe she wanted, I mean, maybe that person asked for the melty. Mm. There's options. And the setting. Yeah, what you, setting do you want? Removal or, or scarification? Let's go scarification. Yeah. Because you still want to be tough, but you just don't want the visual. Yeah, got to be tough at all times. Yeah. Be tough. There was a guy at the beach yesterday that was just really looked like he just left the CrossFit gym. Right. He was younger than me. You know, I'm aging, as we oh, talked about on the ding, last ding, one. ding, ding, yeah. flaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're <laughs> just talking about this. Yeah, I find myself giving myself a little pep talk because this guy had a better physique than me. <laughs> that guy's superior to me in mm-hmm. his build, right? Mm-hmm. And then some protective part of my ego goes, what's he always doing when he's 48? Like, that crosses my mind as well. Wow. I think, like, you know, be realistic for your age. Yeah. You're trying to compete here with this 29-year-old well, guy. No, why? Why what? Why are you trying to compete? I'm not. I'm just evaluating. I shouldn't say compete. I'm okay. evaluating myself against a 29-year-old guy. Yeah, not fair. And then I remember I'm, I'm 48. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. If I see someone on the beach. A chick. Who's, uh, yes, a woman. A chick. Well, in this case, we could say a chick now. Bikini. I'm going to say a woman. Okay, a woman. Whose body I admire. Uh-huh. Or I I think is nice. Yeah. I don't I don't ever think, hmm. Of it relative to your body? No. Wow. I mean, no, no, no. I will, but I think, oh, I wish I looked like that. Yes. But I never think, oh, that's better than mine or worse than mine. Do you know well, what I mean? Well, even if, but if you want that, isn't that a sub- I guess. Isn't I guess. that actually saying that you, you think it's better because you would prefer it? I guess so. I mean, I guess that's the subtext of what body happening. part will you see that you'll go, hmm, I wish I had. Because I don't want to sexually I mean, harass you, but you're never seeing anyone's boobs and going like, oh, shit. And it's rare, yeah. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> good, good. That's I mean, great. And I, I, I have some height and some shoulders. So right out of the gates, I'm like, I'm doing fine, you know? Well, really the thing is, I do like my body, but right. I... There are things about it that I can't control, like my height. Uh huh. So you, okay. sometimes I see bodies and I'm like, ugh, they have like a nice long torso. Oh. Okay. I don't have that. I wish I had that. But I, it can only go so far mm. because, like, I have a short, I have a teeny tiny torso. <laughs> mini torso? It's half an I'm gonna inch. I'm going to start calling you mini torso. <laughs> tiny torso. Well, I will say this. You'll like this. This, this feels like growth in some. Okay. Okay. I saw the gentleman. <laughs> okay. Okay. He looked like Charlie. Like he just he was probably yeah. two twenty five and six percent body fat. Are you used to it? You see Charlie all the time. I know, but we're best buddies, so I'm rooting for him. <laughs> oh, I see. I'm happy to take second place to him because I love him. Oh, this is but this fucking <laughs> random <laughs> this guy going for the crown. Uh, but I did have the wherewithal to go. Actually, mm-hmm. m- most women actually wouldn't prefer that. Well, we shouldn't say that. That's not true. It's it's so. Um, you made me take my headphones off. Oh my god! Because <laughs> you're getting hot or what? It's just my hair felt floofy. Okay. It's so dependent on the woman. Yep. Charlie's wife Erica loves that body. Like that is the body. The bigger, the fucking better. Yeah, she her. loves the rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm going on the data I talked about the other day. <laughs> What? Which data? The data about how men overestimate how much oh. they think women like muscles. Sure. And women overestimate how much they think men like thinness. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought to myself, you know, I'm vibing this guy's chassis. Yeah. What a rack this guy's got. Yeah. But 
he's, I think he's probably too big for the majority of women. I guess that's what's also interesting. I don't really see the women's bodies and think, I don't think of it in relation to men. Right, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that body, I like that body, but men don't, like, I, I just like it and want it. Yeah, and I don't either. This was new. Right. That's what I'm saying. This feels like a step in the right direction. I'm not sure. It seems like two steps forward, one step back. Oh, okay. But yeah, I was like, he's probably bigger than most women want. I just like it because how many bigger. pounds did he weigh? I bet he was two thirty okay. of and lean. Oh, yeah, like a Brad Pitt. How tall? No, is he? like Hemsworth. More than Hemsworth. Oh. Hemsworth is two oh eight. Oh my god. Yes. How tall was he? Oh, he was tall. He was. He like, was? Yeah, he's probably six two. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Speaking of nothing, it's not speaking of, but okay. before I came, um, J- Jonah Hill has a new movie. Oh right, on Netflix. Yeah, and yeah, I, it looks I started great. it. You started it? Yeah, and I like it. You so people far. or something? Yeah. Is it great? I, I like the trailer. It was really funny. Yeah, I'm not far. Okay, uh, well, just the credits. I watched. I watched only a little bit last night too. Oh okay, my god, yeah. you guys, that's great. <laughs> no, 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 I, was, I had I to come it. here. I watched it this morning, oh. and then I had to come here. You're watching movies in the morning now. Today. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I like it. I love him. You do. Yeah. yeah. You're in love with him. A little. Yeah, yeah. I do find him very attractive. Oh, my he's a, God. He's a podcaster in it, too. Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. You guys are in the same line of work. <laughs> you might bump into each other at one of the many conventions he we He should to. probably reach out and get some— He should have reached out to get some advice on— um, how to make podcasts Yes, real. he should have shadowed you. Yes. And asked you a t- million questions. Followed me around. Yeah, laid in bed with you, <laughs> asked you questions, uh, stood up with you, <laughs> leaned against you. Yeah. Yeah. He should have. Should have sat you on a countertop. Oh, boy. Really looked well, you in the eyes and asked you some questions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, anywho. Now, we talked about a lot of vain stuff. Oh, let's talk yeah, about let's some talk about something serious. No, let's talk about something really serious. Oh, okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. When I was gone... I had a furniture delivery. Oh, in it, your absence. Uh-huh. Wow. It was this armoire because mm. as we've already discussed, I'm not moving into my house. 2030. Forever. Yeah, I'm never yeah. moving in no. there. It's cool to own though, right? Just yeah, it's great here. to be just spending money yeah, yeah. Um, for no reason. So my closet is just so small in my right. apartment and I'm fashion and there's mm. no space. Mm-hmm. So I had to buy an armoire so mm-hmm. that I could put more stuff in it. Ordered it. It tried to get delivered a couple weeks ago, couldn't. So then it came while I was gone. Very exciting. I had someone receive it. And then, you know, I'm the plane home. I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, you get to My armoire is there and I'm so excited to see it. And then I walk in. You don't like it? it? I love the look of it, but it looks preposterous crazy in its current location because it's huge okay yeah and where is it at in the dead center of the living room no 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 it's in my bedroom but it's on the wall okay like it's for the bedroom but it's on but not your bedroom yeah i have one bedroom no but i mean it's for a bedroom but not your current bedroom no 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 it's too big for your (laughs) your bed barely fits in your bedroom it's fine for the bedroom the problem is the wall it's on is the wall where like the door open Uh, basically just looks really bad where it is but it will look good if i move it to the other wall oh okay 
The problem is the other wall has another big shelving situation. Yeah. You have all these other fears of death, and it should be the fact that you're living in a room of too much furniture in an earthquake zone. You're going to get, like, you're going to get fucking buried in armoires. Yeah, I also have this fear because I think the fan is loose. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes a really unsettling noise when yeah. it's on, and I— Keep imagining it crashing down while on. Uh huh. Sure. And then just decapitating. Yeah, yeah, just tearing me up. Like going through the prop of a boat. Exactly. Okay. So that might happen. Okay. Anyway, so I think. Although. Yep. Go on. The glass half full. Yeah. There's an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, you're buried in armoires. Yeah. You're dying. <laughs> yeah. The earthquake also loosened the fan enough that it comes down at blinding speed and chop, 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 oh. chops up all the armoires. Okay. And saves your life. And then you hug the fan. Oh. The first thing you do is put your arms around the and hug it. That's And then you go, Jonah, save me. <laughs> Jonah, my fan, save me. Oh, I'm going to name the fan Jonah. Jonah. Hill. Oh. Thank you, Fan Hill. <laughs> Jonah Fan Hill. Oh, my God. Okay. This is all to say, uh, tonight, today, yeah. this afternoon, I'm going to attempt to rearrange this furniture. Now, these oh. are two enormous pieces of furniture. I don't know how it's going to go. I would prefer if a strong man would help, but I also want to try my uh, hand. Okay. Well, mainly because I want to get it done today, and I don't think a strong man will come over today. Right. Um, You seem busy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rob is looking the other way like he doesn't want to help. I can help me move it if you need. <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll try it, but I'm really excited to get some clothes in there. I bet you are. Yeah. I was going to offer up another thing that was not vain. Uh, I said in the in the wake of our vanity, yeah. I'm going to add something substantive. She did have a story about a vanity, though. We should do a story about a vanity? An armoire is another called a vanity. That's similar... Rob, that was close. A vanity is not quite an armor. Oh, okay. But similar. similar. Same it was oh, So it was like a pun. It was, it was trying to be a pun, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was close. Big development. And we kind of, you know, we hung her out to dry on the previous fact check. We exposed her for her um, night walking and her <gasps> bozoery. Oh, my God. Delta. Yeah. So now we got to put a feather in her cap. Yeah. Huge development on this trip. Delta learned how to play spades. Yes. She did so good that I think we, did we play three games or two games? Definitely two. I think maybe three. Yeah. I went nil twice. She was my partner and I went nil and pulled them both off. Yeah. That's nuts. It was, it was crazy. And what's even better was after the first day she learned it, she said to you, I want to play next day. I want to play spades. She had the bug The bug. And now the other thing is she never stayed vertical in her seat for more than three minutes. So as much as mentally she had the game, she was, uh, it was like playing with a chimpanzee. Anytime she wasn't actively playing, she was flipping and putting her feet on the table. It was wild. It was. It it was wild. It was, yeah. It was fun though. But it was very impressive. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. She's very advanced. Okay. Circling back to the ding, ding, ding. Disability. He said... Mental health is the... Well, yeah. He said mental health is the leading cause of disability with depression at the top of the list. That is correct. I confirmed. He got that one right. Mm -hmm, He got that one right. Okay. I want to call you out on something. Can you prep yourself? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm seated. Okay. (laughs) That's a good start. So, I want you to travel back in time. Okay. What year? Uh, Last year. Neil Patrick Harris 
interview, armchair expert. NPH. Do you remember that he was talking about using a saw? Mm -hmm. And wanting to follow the directions on YouTube. Correct. And I was urging him to just build something. That's right. Mm -hmm. Now let's fast forward to this episode where Chris lost two fingers Mm -hmm. using a saw. Right. And he knew what he was doing. Right. He built many things. Even more reason that following instructions, not such a bad idea. Okay. I'm going to counter. Go ahead. His losing the fingers was not from his lack of education. Accidents happen. Even if you're a master carpenter, people lose fingers. Welder, you know. Yeah. So I don't think his wasn't the result of not being a adequate carpenter. But if accidents happen to even the masters, someone who does not know what they're doing, that's a dangerous instrument is my point. Right. So you should, I think he was right Mm. to think, I should maybe learn a thing or two before I handle this. And listen, I'm all for, and I was supportive of Neil Patrick Harris watching a safety video on how to operate a table saw and use a guide for sure. What I don't want him to do is to mimic and ape someone building a, a birdhouse. Right. I want him to just stare at a birdhouse and start cutting wood, see if he can do it on his own and not be perfect. Phil Stutz. That's what I wanted him to do is not be perfect. Right. Yeah. But I understand. It was a good opportunity to hoist me by my own fatard. I think it was just, it's totally okay to follow some rules. Sure. Especially when you're dealing with dangerous instruments. Okay, he was talking about the LGBTQ youth suicide rate. The Trevor Project estimates that more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youth, that's 13 to 24, seriously consider suicide each year in the U.S. and at least one attempt suicide every 45 seconds. Four times more likely to attempt suicide than their peers. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people in general, 10 to 24. And then LGBTQ more than four times as likely than their, those peers. So is that the, probably the number one cause of death for them? Yeah. So you brought up Siddhartha Mukherjee's book a couple of times. It's called The Song of the Cell. Okay. If anyone wants to check it out or listen to our episode with him. Mm-hmm. You too will have to go back in time to 2022. That's right. As I just did. And it wasn't out, that painful. Check out Neil Patrick Harris while you're out back mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Great episode. Yeah. And see if you think what I'm suggesting is to be dangerous or to be creative. We'll let you decide when you go back in time. Go ahead and decide for yourself. (laughs) Okay. I found something interesting because you mentioned a couple of times that the success rate of AA is about 30. Can I just tell you what I'm basing that on? Uh Uh-huh. I'm actually basing that on treatment center success rates that use AA's 12-step program. That's the Uh, only thing I know data of is like Hazleton and some other treatment centers. Yeah. Well, yeah. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 33% or one-third of people who are treated for alcohol problems have no further symptoms one year later. Mm. But then a New York Times article said that AA claims, although who's who's who? Yeah. AA doesn't claim anything. In fact, it's in the bylaws that they can't. But go ahead and tell us what they said they claim. Yeah, they claim up to 75% of its members stay abstinent. Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book touts about 50% success rate, stating that other 25% remain sober after some relapses. It's also 
you can evaluate the efficacy of chemotherapy if you skip 60% of your treatments. Yeah. So that's one big hurdle in establishing it. Yeah. Like, did they do all 12 steps? I don't know. Do they have a sponsor? Do they go to meetings? There's so many things to do. Who yes. knows? A. B, I think another relevant thing is I don't think the measure of success should be you never drank again the rest of your life mm. or you never used. I don't know. I think it has to be a little bit more of a, a, a murky, what we would call success. If someone drinks eight times in the next 40 years by using AA, I'm pretty fucking successful. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. But if we're saying, no, well, you can never. Well, unless that leads to like death, I wouldn't say, you know. Right. I'm saying they, let's say they died sober and they. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the gut does provide approximately 95% of total body serotonin. Pretty cool. Really kill. So IBS, bad. <laughs> That's your conclusion? Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't think your your balls, not your stomach. No, no, it's kind of, uh, it is. It says some stuff about IBS. I just oh, don't. Okay. don't want to read it. <laughs> I don't really want to get into it, okay. but bad. Bad. I mean, it's just not good because. Yeah, I thought I had, I remember. I have it. Mm, I don't I do. What? <laughs> well, Monica, I would. I'm trying to be respectful of people who have IBS and like their, their life's ruled by it, and they have to have a perfect diet. To say, I just think it's a little unfair to. You know, that's not really. But it's not. It's it's a lot of IBS is caused by stress. It's not food. Okay. Or okay. Rob, there is an out? IBS diet. I'm, there's a diet for absolutely everything to help. But I mean, there's a medical <laughs> doctors put people with IBS on. On a diet. Specific. Can you look up percentage of women with IBS? I have been told by a doctor that I have it. This was oh, a okay. long time ago. Natalie has it too. See? Okay. <laughs> 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 14 to 24% of women and only 5 to 19% of men. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it affects 8 to 20% of the U.S. population. Yeah. You know about my honest. <laughs> but Monica, I, I, what I'm saying is I think you would have shit your pants in public a lot of times if you had bona fide. Like I think people with real bad IBS, they have, you know, they're like sprinting to bathrooms and shitting their pants in public is what I think of it. But maybe I mean, not. I think that's like. Extreme IBS. Yeah, I, I think if you say you don't have it because you haven't shit your pants in public is like not a good <laughs> <laughs> measure. <laughs> if you're shit in the toilet every time, then what's the prop? You know, women are just more responsible with to get themselves to the toilet. Explosive. That really is counter to what seems to be the narrative, which is men are shitting their pants all the time and women aren't. Yet women have IBS more. Exactly, because they just run or hold it. I mean, I've had to hold it, especially while driving. Mm. You, it's very close calls. Some mm. very close calls. Mm. Okay. Oh, the virus he was referring to that's often seen tied to obesity mm -hmm. is called ADV36, adenovirus 36. People can look into that if they want, but that's what it's called. Okay. So, let's see, is there anything else I want to talk about? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about... Oh, let's talk about prompts. For the Let's, month. Yes, for next Armchair month. Armchair Anonymous prompts. This one's for March. That's right. Okay. We want to hear about 
a crazy divorce story. Ooh. Oh. I could go anyway, you know? I could. It could be like a really, like, Bob's your uncle, sayonara suck ass. Yeah. By the way, that's kind of what it, um, Gabrielle Union's divorce sounded like, right? Yeah. It sounded like they were like, you know what, man? We like to fuck so much other people. Let's just end I this. love that her therapist was like, okay, let's They shouldn't have time. gotten to this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good therapist. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so please tell us about a crazy divorce. That's prompt number one. Prompt number two, tell us about a time you got caught Okay. Could be so many things. Oh, fill in the blank. Embezzling, cheating, stealing, murder. This one I'm most excited about. Your most embarrassing fart. <laughs> okay, a very embarrassing fart. <laughs> but it fart. needs to be a story, guys. Don't just like, I farted in my girlfriend's, I don't know. I want it to be a story. I think it'd have to be to be embarrassing. Like if you just fart in your house and you're like, oh my God, that's rank. Are you embarrassed or proud? I mean, you might be embarrassed if it's, like, a lover's in there. Oh, see, that's what I really want to hear. It's, like, some farting during lovemaking, some farting sure. during job interviews, uh -huh, some, yeah. you know, Funerals. shaking Obama's uh, hand right. and farting. Oh, me um, farting in front of Liz. Oh, sure. Yeah, during the pictures. That, that type of thing, you know? Yeah. And hopefully with some fallout of some variety. Okay. Let's see. Uh, most embarrassing fart. And then... Uh, this is going to be new for us. This is called Wild Card. Yeah. So this is a story. You've got some great story, and you're like, when on earth are they going to have the prompt attacked by a dolphin? Yes. This sure. is Wild Card. Yep. C your craziest story, feel free to write in. What could be fun is, so they'll click Wild Card, and then maybe they write what the prompt would have been. Oh, most embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, they write, you write what the prompt is to your story, and then you write your story. Great. Divorce, Submit. got caught, most embarrassing fart, wild card. Yeah. Those are your March Madness prompts. Ooh, oh shit, we should have done. March, we do the craziest basketball disaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is, that was one I Sports? was, while well, betting, I, I wanted to do, oh. if you have a story about like winning the lottery or winning a bunch of money. We can do that not on Mars, though. That's not specific to NCAA. I know, I know. I just felt like a tie-in, but I guess it's not. I had <laughs> props really by the numbers today. <laughs> I was trying to give you some support as to why. <laughs> All right. All love right, you. Love you.